1: To the Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1, The Answer. Uh, gosh, you've gotten already tell, I'm sure, that Dave's not here. So sad for us because the number one top talk show host in the Little Rock area is always missed when he's not around. But Dave was unexpectedly called away on urgent business today. I, I'm not really sure. It might be top secret stuff. I, he may possibly be consulting. With a Trump on important campaign <laughs> issues, I'm not is he,
2: sure. But is he wearing a cape? <laughs> uh, well,
1: <laughs> we may we may find out in a day or two when Dave returns to the uh, the uh, uh, what should we say the platinum microphone here in the uh, Dave Ellswick Show Studios. But I'm Carl Kimball from Chennault Insurance, Dave's old friend of the libertarian bent and uh, occasional uh, radio appearance, and i um, delightful. Uh, Delighted to be uh, sitting in for Dave today, and I'm fortunate not to have to take up all the slack by myself, because I have two of the most outstanding guest hosts from the panel here with me today, R.D. Hopper. Welcome to you, you. R.D. Paul Calvert. Yes, sir. Thank I you. I tell you, boy, the, the three of us can keep it going one way or the other, can't we? We should be able
3: <laughs> Yeah, it might be south, but uh, we'll keep it going anyway. Well, <laughs> anyway
1: well, going south not a bad thing. <laughs> we Yeah. You know, I went, got to go south over the weekend. Went down to the big city of Monroe, Louisiana. All right. And a uh, hobnob with some of our Cajun friends who continually referred to the area we're from as North Louisiana. And I said, well, you it know, that's part of the Louisiana. Well, you know, I was, was about it. to say, you know, Idaho. Oh, and Montana were part of it, too, so we're not hardly the northest part of North Louisiana. <laughs> yeah, we're still the southern is. part of it. Yeah, we're the southern part uh, of North Louisiana, I guess, to those guys. Uh, but anyway, it's great to be with you guys here today. Great to have Paul and R.D. with us. And uh, I think that, you know, and since we're caught out here in the excitement of the moment, I think what we'd like to talk about, at least in the first hour here and uh, as things go on, Want to talk about some of the exciting news of the day? Because lordy, lordy, has it been hitting the fan? We've got impeachment going on. We've got all kinds of craziness in Washington D.C. Essentially, a, we have a coup d'état against the Electoral College in process right now. Uh, that- is it is it more than usual? Well, you know, that's kind of the way I see it. Is I, I The way I see it is kind of a coup d'etat against the Constitution here because, you know, if you want to know what the Democrats are really up to, just look at what they're accusing the Republicans of, you know, in that debate. They asked Trump if he was going to accept the outcome of the election before a single vote had been cast, and when he said, well, let's see what happens, oh, they accused him of not being willing to accept the outcome of the election, oh, and here it is three years later, Hillary still hadn't accepted the outcome (laughs) of the election. Oh, man, I tell you, all this vote-cadging going on, dead people voting, illegal aliens voting constant battle against oh, any it, attempt to it, make elections more honest if you were still breathing would you vote for the democrats well i guess that's probably the only choice i would have you know, the union leader would come down and take my name as right. i silently lay there rotting and, <laughs> and he would he would mark my preference for a d i'm sure well, I mean, and, and so you know what do they do they accuse us of stealing an election no, so no. you know and uh, hillary uses a cutout law firm to hire a British spy to use his Russian contacts to make up dirt about Donald Trump. So what do we get? If I, if I understand what actually went on there, yeah.
2: why isn't Hillary in jail? And
1: so – well, because she's a Clinton. We oh, know that that never know. happens. But, but, but look at what happened. We get years now. Donald Trump being accused of colluding with the Russians when it was Hillary that was using some British spy to use his Russian what, contacts uh, to make up dirt to affect our election. Who so, who is colluding with the Russians well, do to we affect call that, the election? We call that pro, pro, projection <laughs> – <clears throat> more something you know and now we got this Ukraine business going on and uh, you know Donald Trump has got some pretty dang rough edges on him if i was if i was to choose i would choose to have a president that had just a little bit more moderation and, and maybe maybe he used a little bit of cogitation before he threw the mouth in gear sometimes. Because <laughs> I think he is his own worst enemy, most likely. But when it comes right down to it, what we're saying is that how dare he investigate Democrat corruption? <laughs> Democrats are getting Damn. hundreds of thousands of dollars in bribe money from the Ukraine. So what are we going to do? We're going to accuse Donald Trump. Of colluding with the Ukraine now uh, to try and affect the next election. We we, we, we tried to get him on Russian collusion with the last election. Now we're going to have a Ukrainian collusion Mm -hmm. on the next election. So if there is evidence
2: of criminal activity by the Democrats, by his Democrat (laughs) opponents, when is he allowed to actually
1: investigate? When is is his Justice Department allowed to? It's an impeachable offense to investigate Democrat corruption, might at least a, that's that's the impression I get from Adam. It might be a death penalty offense. If you're not <laughs> now, the, now the Democrats,
3: they had to bribe people not to investigate corruption, and that's okay. Well, so if, I mean, if you
2: know if you're Biden, especially if you do it with the taxpayer dollars, yeah. Now if yeah. you're
3: Biden, right, and you've got taxpayers' money, and you're going to give it to Ukraine, and you can say, hey. There's this guy that's been investigating my son and all the corruption that my son's been involved in. Unless yeah. you get this guy fired, you're not getting the money. And he says that publicly. Yeah, so it's money to it. Yeah, wow. yeah. They have it on camera. So you and he have him bragging. Yeah, he was bragging about being able to get a, a law enforcement person fired for investigating his corrupt son and, and, with bribing him with taxpayers' money. But so it's okay to bribe somebody not to investigate corruption that you're involved in, but it's not okay to, uh, to, in, it, to insinuate that somebody needs to That's kind investigate corruption That's the way it looks from the
1: way that they're making the argument now, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, if you think that Hunter Biden was getting hundreds of thousands of dollars from a Ukrainian gas company when he doesn't know jack about gas, the Ukraine— Or business, for that matter. I mean, there's no evidence he knows jack about squat other than getting high and dropping out of the, what was it, the Navy that he got kicked out of? I don't know. For drug abuse. If you think that money being paid to Hunter Biden was not a bribe to a high-ranking member of the uh, Obama administration— then you probably also believe that Hillary Clinton and uh, his daughter, the beautiful Chelsea, and her husband are making enormous amounts of money in the private sector because of their great talent and ability to help people. Well, right. well I mean,
2: if if you think help helping people is is manipulating them and and um. Taking the rights away, then maybe, maybe that is how They're
3: selling access is what they're doing. Yeah. They're not taking the people's rights away. That's given on the money. They're taking our rights away because it's our money that that we're being taxed. That they're that they're being bribed with. So it's access or selling we to,
2: access. We just need to remember that if you if you bribe people with your own money, then you might go to jail. But if you use taxpayer dollars, well, that's just all fair and good.
1: But apparently only if you're on <laughs> one side of the aisle. Maybe so. What's good for the goose is not good for. the
2: <laughs> well, well, I don't know. Sometimes the Republicans do the same thing. We've got we've got a fair amount of crony capitalism going on with the Republicans oh, as well. I mean, you never
1: heard me say there were no corrupt Republicans, <laughs> but the, the difference the is media. the difference is that Republicans, if they get caught, will get strung up for it. Democrats, if they get caught, will try to get you impeached over insulting well, them that way. <laughs> well, maybe
2: maybe. But the thing is, there there is actually some some Republicans that that are proud of the fact that they're getting handouts for their buddies and and for the cronies and and for the businesses (laughs) around them and corporate welfare, basically. Yeah,
3: you need to be an attorney. It doesn't hurt to be an attorney if you're going to be a public official Mm. or run for Senate or House. If you don't happen to be lucky enough to be an attorney, then you need to start a consulting firm. Mm. So if you're an attorney or a consulting firm, then you have, then you're able to, what I see is, (laughs) is give access to the right people to get contracts, to get Mm. taxpayers money.
1: All right, we want to talk about some of these wonderful, (laughs) glorious people with the rubber noses and the large shoes that have crawled out of that brightly colored Volkswagen Beetle that's the Marxist clown car carrying the uh, Democratic field around. And we're going to start out with talking about good old Uncle Joe. But first, let's go ahead and... Get our break in so that we'll have a a little uninterrupted uh, segment at the end of the half hour to run several of these clips and talk about them. All right, we will be right back after this commercial message. Well, maybe not back to Dave Ellswick, but back to Dave Ellswick's show. You got Carl Kimball with Artie Hopper and old what's his name over there, my favorite biblical prophet, the man of the plan. Paul, we're glad to see you here, and I want to get your comment on some of these exciting uh, quotes that we got coming up. Now, we got, like I said, a real clown car of socialism here, but on the other hand, Tony McAuliffe thinks that uh, they're doing a great job in Virginia, thanks to you know the Democrats taking over. You remember Tony McAuliffe he used to be the uh, chairman of the Democratic. National Committee.
2: So is suicide up or down in Virginia?
1: Uh, he got, oh, he got well, probably uh, right there with abortions going right through the roof, mm. I imagine, but we'll find out in a second. Here. But Tony McAuliffe, he's, he's an interesting guy. He got his chance to be governor of Virginia because he did such a wonderful job as chairman of the Democratic National Committee. And he got that job by being such a successful bag man for the Clintons during mm. the 90s. And helping raise money for them. And during which same period of time, he amassed amazing amount of wealth for himself, with which he was able to move to Virginia and slip himself into their one-term governor's uh, job. And then one of his successors has gotten quite a bit of controversy, of course, you know. What well, we got in Virginia, we got the blackface guy for governor, and then we got the rapist for lieutenant governor, and then we got another blackface guy for attorney general. But, uh, so so, so but so since so they're all Democrats, it doesn't matter. You know, it? They, all, they all get a pass. And uh, if we got cut three, Tony McAuliffe's going to give them a pass here.
4: I have a question for you. Are you open to vice president if Biden were to win? Yeah. Well, I, I don't want to be presumptuous, but I'm always open to serving the country. And also I want to ask you, how come Northam isn't out on the campaign trail? Do you think he should be out, Governor Northam, with he, I Democrats? I think he was out. I mean, I think uh, he did some canvas kickoffs yesterday. I mean, I'm doing my deal. and uh, You know, he's governor. He's busy as governor doing what he's got to do. And I'm happy to pick up uh, and do what I have to do. But, you know. Because you, you called for his resignation. A lot of Democrats did. How do you square that with wanting to take over government in Virginia, oh, Democrats, well, yeah, and sure. after calling for his resignation? Well, sure. Friday night when I talked to him, there was a question of if he was in the phone photo. And I wish he had told me Friday night he wasn't in the photo. And then he came out Saturday and said he wasn't in it. Had he told me Friday night when I talked to him, I never would ask for him to resign. But you know, we've moved on. He's a great governor, doing a great job. The state's cranking it. We just got to keep it going.
1: Well, you know, he may not have been the black faced guy in that picture. In fact I I really don't think he was. I think he was the guy in the clan outfit standing next to the black faced guy is probably who who uh, Governor Northam is. He's the mm-hmm. one that said that we should take that baby and make him comfortable after he's born and then let the mother decide well, not the whether to have a fourth quarter, fourth a, trimester what, abortion. What a, what a sweet fella. Oh, geez. But you know, they get away with it. They get away with it. So anyway, don't you guys love Tony McAuliffe? I mean, isn't he a wonderful spokesman for, for his party and for his group? Yeah, you know, yesterday I thought he
3: needed to be Evicted, but today I decided he's doing a real good job. <laughs> Perfectly represented, great representative for the Democratic things are going Party. great. Yeah, things are going great today. Yesterday it was real bad. Today everything's great. We put the past behind us and we're
1: going to move on. Here's one I hadn't heard yet, but, but I've been I've been dying to hear Cut Five because uh, this strikes kind of home for me. You, you guys know how much I love history, and of course my dad was in World War II, so. You know, World War II has always been kind of interesting to me, and I—definitely, I, everybody in my generation practically was interested, at least somewhat, in World War II. I yeah. mean, movies and books and, and things about World War II. Well, you know, our snowflake generation. And I'm going to excuse our common buddy, who's a, a couple of years. Older, perhaps, than the millennials and maybe shouldn't be you know, lumped in with that bunch. But, but this snowflake generation has an entirely different attitude towards it. Uh, play cut five for me there, please, Zach.
5: Or is it time for old people to stop talking about the war? Well, joining us now is former Ofsted Chief Inspector Sir Michael Wilshaw, who says it's imperative it's taught in schools. And Freddie Bentley from the first series of Channel Fours The Circle, who says it's not good for children's mental health. So why do you think that, Freddie?
6: Firstly, I want to start off by saying that um, I find it um, very, like, obviously it was a um, hard situation in World War Two, and I don't want anyone to think that I would, I'm being disrespectful in that way whatsoever. However, I will stand by the point that I don't think it's as educational in the way that we, you know, there's so many problems going on in the world at the moment, like Brexit that's not taught in schools, and um, climate change, which... Is a situation that I feel like we should be aware of. And, you know, when I left school, I felt like it hit me like a ton of bricks because I didn't know anything in general life. I felt like I was going out to the world. I've completed my GCSEs. I felt like I knew that what I was doing in life. Then all of a sudden, it hit me because I didn't know how to save for a mortgage. So I feel like right. instead of... Um, you know, focusing so much on our history and holding on to this past, mm. that we can let it go a little bit. I'm not saying get rid of it totally, but let go of it a little bit and replace it with a subject that is going to be beneficial to us it feels in more the relevant. future. Yeah, more relevant. Good point,
5: does it really matter, we know the dates of when World War II started and finished, compared with how to budget your domestic life, get a mortgage, get your first job. Why does it matter?
7: It matters... Um, As other major events in history matter, we know what happened and we know the dates. I mean, Freddie is... How old are you, Freddie? I'm 22. You're 22. If somebody came up to you and said, uh, on the 12th of December, you will not be able to vote... We're going to take the franchise away from you. You'd be insulted, wouldn't you? And and the reason I mention that is because millions of people have died, 50 million people died in the Second World War, to fight fascism, to fight tyranny, people who wanted to take away people 's right for, to freedom to the vote mm. to, to the franchise that's why that 's why people should know about the second World War, the first world war, the conflicts that have taken place and, I totally and the fight that. for freedom that you and I enjoy
6: and I totally get that, but i don 't think it needs to be in, 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 put in such a young way to young children like. Mentally, in their mental health, to be told that this certain amount of people died for you. I think I mean, there's a lot.
7: Of, you mustn't exaggerate. I mean, no, I don't, you know, I church, don't think I am church, exaggerating. You know, you, you I remember learning
6: it as a child. We can't, and cause it, God, we can't my God, it's so, it's so, so it intense.
7: Children need to know that it's a dangerous world out there. Of
6: course they, they, need, they to know, need to know don't that. But I know crossing
7: the road is sometimes dangerous. Of course they need if, to know that if they get too fat, there are obesity
6: issues now. But of is. course, but mental health is on the rise completely. I don't think.
1: Okay, so obviously those were some British folks, and I, I'd like to know who the second voice I had a little bit of sand at the end of really? the but the, the snowflake was described hmm. in the cut as a 22-year-old Instagram star, so I guess you Instagram can get to be a star, star. on Instagram uh, Makes you, you can an barely expert. figure out how to get a mortgage. That makes you an expert on education and what people need to be taught after. Well, apparently so. Because getting into debt is very important. <laughs> well, it is, and, and you know, you, you ought to learn that stuff, but gosh... I'll bet you Paul Calvert knows something about World War II and still was able to get a mortgage anyway. A, a little bit. <laughs> I wish I knew more about World War II. That's that's one of those
2: things. World War One and World War Two. That's something I wish I knew more about. Um, but from what I understand, the the war itself, and then a lot of the 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 government surrounding that era, there were millions and millions of people killed. By socialist By socialist and communist. Socialist. Yeah,
1: there were national socialists and there and, were international so, socialists. So maybe that's,
2: maybe that's why um, some of these people don't really want that history told, because so many of these governments that were killing all these people were not very much different than what these people are wanting to institute today and actually well, have
3: implemented. Socialism turns to communism, which you know one another you have someone in charge you have someone in charge that's dictating uh what's good for the masses and anybody that that does anything spectacular themselves is against the masses and has to be killed and 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 eliminated so
2: i think the the basic problem with these types of governments are that they put themselves up a, as a master form of government rather than as a servant form of government.
1: As the exact opposite of what our government was designed to be. Well, I, before we wrap it up, I just got to remember my old buddy Mark Linder that I went to college with. He loved history, too, and he had a saying that I kind of took to heart. Pity the poor fool that looks ahead only to the future and misses the past that kicks him in the ass. Hmm and we're about to get a pretty good ass-kicking from the past if we forget what socialism did. Uh, socialist governments caused all kind of havoc. We'll talk about some of our more modern socialists when we come back after this break at the bottom of the hour. Stay tuned for the news, and we'll be back in just a few. Okay, that wasn't quite right. Dave's not quite back. He's in a secret strategy session with the higher-ups here about what we're going to do in the future, but uh, he'll be back. Carl Kimball with Paul Calvert and R.D. Hopper sitting in for Dave here today. And and just before we went to the break, we heard a young English millennial say how, well, maybe we shouldn't be wasting our time learning about World War II. Yeah, we need to be looking forward to more important stuff. You know, probably climate change, I guess. But mm-hmm. I'd like to hear what Donald Trump Jr. recently made a comment on a great Democrat icon that kind of ties in with that conversation. How about cut six, Zach, please? This isn't your
4: grandfather's Democrat Party. If you look at their party platform, it's not for working class Americans. You know, JFK would be an alt right neo Nazi terrorist, according to them today. But it's it's also not your grandpa's Republican Party. Well, I, I think it's changed because now. For the first time in 50 years, Republicans are actually fighting back. They're not just taking the loss because the mainstream media does the pylon. They're not just taking the loss because you know, Hollywood and pop culture says you're terrible people for, having, right. you know, for clinging to your guns, your Bible, your religion, and all of those things. We said,
1: hey, we have a fighter
4: in the White House. We're actually pushing back for the first time ever and making gains, which is incredible.
1: Okay, JFK. I may be the only person in the room old enough to actually remember JFK, but uh, JFK, he was for tax cuts. He thought that we would stimulate the economy by reducing the tax cuts from the levels that they were at uh, at a place where the Democrats want to get them back up to Mm -hmm. right now. And sure enough, those tax cuts didn't go through until after his untimely death, but uh, the tax cuts did pass shortly after his demise, and they resulted in such a hot economy that LBJ was able to afford to run the Vietnam War and still have prosperity at home, so... Uh, JFK may have been right on that. Certainly, in foreign policy, JFK was for having a robust military presence and a strong United States around the world. Uh, something not so much with most Democrats today. Uh, I think
2: the Democrats, I think, are kind of confused. I think they 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 claim sometimes they want to kind of bring the troops home and reduce the size of the military until they get into office, and it seems like they still continue the the. Um, the um military pushes around the world and, and meddling in various different countries' businesses and uh, when but when they run for office, it seems like they they, they kind of
1: cl- seem to claim they are opposed to it well they claim well, they claim all kinds of stuff they claim all kinds of stuff but when it comes down to uh, the actual the results, uh, tell Vladimir i'll have more flexibility after the election, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, okay. So are, are I de- was just going to say that the Democrats are against anything that Donald Trump is doing. So if Donald Trump is doing it, then they're against it no matter what their platform says.
1: Even if it's something that they used to be for. Exactly. It changes yeah. by day. You know, we thought that we had a serious mental <laughs> problem in this country with Bush derangement syndrome. <laughs> they were just so crazy about about the fact that George Bush was president. That was nothing compared to what it's been the last three years. The last three years, people just lose their mind over Donald Trump. Like they're
3: anti-war until Donald Trump brings the troops home from Syria. <laughs> when Donald Trump brings his troops home from Syria, then they're then. And that was they're such pro-war. A, they're pro, yeah, well, that, and,
1: and and in the grand scheme of things, the number of troops that were involved compared to our commitments around the world—that was. That was a pretty a minor, half a percent. It was it was a pretty minor adjustment there. And you know when normally you yeah, know the president is the commander in chief. They usually you know moving fifty troops from one place to another isn't normally something that there's a national uproar. That how dare the president do that? That's all it was. It, it was it was, <laughs> it was
3: very it wasn't very. Married.
1: It was it was nominal. It was like fifty men. Oh wow. It was like it, it was like fifty men that were along the border. They were just sort of you know observers, kind of along. Along the border there, and and, and I'm not saying there is no significance to it, but right. in the grand scheme of things, and if you know you had a Democrat commander in chief, uh, uh, troop movements uh, under control of the commander in chief, uh, the, the fact that he has the right to do them and he's the decision maker have uh, uh, usually nothing uh, controversial mm-hmm. about. Well, them. and I
2: th- and I think so much so much of the time with the foreign policy that we've had going on for the last twenty or thirty years. It seems like it's <clears throat> it's about the equivalent of six year olds throwing rocks at hornet's yeah. nests rather than adults looking at the hornet's nest and determining do we want to take that out or do we not want to take it out? And then we determine whether it needs to be taken out. If if it does, we take White it out. Al- Baghdadi. Yeah, we take if if it does need to be taken out, we take it out. We don't cry when when a few of us get stung. But in the meantime, I think what we've been doing, what Congress has been doing, what, what presidents have been doing over the last twenty or thirty years, is just throwing rocks at these hornets' nests, yeah. and we and we wonder why they come out and, and sting us, and, and, and we not still really don't do
1: anything about getting rid of them, and, and we're, and we're not taking
2: mean. them out. And, and so, if it's worthwhile to take these hornets' nest out, go take them out.
1: And here's a couple other things that come under presidential powers the president appoints ambassadors ambassadors serve at the pleasure of the president the president has a right to tell an ambassador at any time your services are no longer required And he can put in somebody that suits him. Mm -hmm. That has never been controversial. That's within the constitutional powers of the presidency. But apparently there's a subclause that we didn't read that was written in invisible ink that says if it's an Obama-appointed ambassador, a Republican president is not allowed to dismiss them. Mm -hmm. Because that's the controversy that we've got over the – how dare he dismiss an ambassador? Well, he he didn't really need to even – give an excuse he didn't even really need to say this is why we're doing it it's he's the president he decides who the ambassador is and another thing that's involved in this ukraine controversy is uh is using rudy giuliani as his personal representative to say, oh that's the president's lawyer how dare the president send his lawyer overseas to do b- and go outside of the state department well
2: if, it's, uh, if, have you ever if heard, it's a
1: private attorney. But, but, but have you ever heard of Averill Harriman? I don't guess so. Well, you know, he was a personal crony of FDR. FDR probably did somewhere between 50 and 75 percent of his diplomatic work through unofficial personal representatives. But he was a Democrat, so it was okay and uncontroversial. Why would anybody have a problem with, now, now with it? Now, Giuliani's anyway. has kind of been an embarrassment in some ways, and we're going to get to... We're going to get to Jim in Hot Springs in just a second. But Giuliani has in some ways tarnished his reputation and, and been somewhat of an embarrassment on occasion. And He's probably been less effective than the president hoped and what he wanted to do in the Ukraine. But sending his personal representative, lawyer or not lawyer, sending his personal representative to another country to back-channel a discussion between uh, another leader and the president of the United States is nothing new. There's not been a Democrat right. president in the last hundred years that hadn't done it. Let's pick up Jim in Hot Springs here first and get his input into this. Jim, have I got gotcha? you?
8: Hey, Good welcome. Good afternoon, guys. Man, Good afternoon. Join the
1: conversation, I, I, Jim.
8: I, yeah, I just want to join in and tell you, you're not the oldest clown in the you know, <laughs> in the box, in the box of Lucky Charms. And John, John F. Kennedy was killed on my sister's birthday.
1: Well, that's uh, sad. In
8: November, in November, man. And I'm telling you, for, for the glorious weather they had in Dallas, it's. Stormed its yin yang off in Memphis, Tennessee that that year, uh, when he was killed that day. And uh,
1: that's the day 22nd. you. If you were alive, you always remember where you were and what you were doing, no, don't yeah,
8: you? November twenty second, nineteen sixty three, brother, my sister's birthday. I'll never forget it as long as I live. But uh, yeah, you're talking about JFK. He was uh, he. There's no Democrat alive that could even come close to JFK today. Well, and he that, certainly that, that,
1: represented a different wing of the Democrat Party than even exists today, doesn't he?
8: Yeah, well, that, ain't that the truth. I mean, they, they just, you know, he was such a charismatic, beautiful man, and he had this rock star, gorgeous wife, man. It just was un, unbelievable. He, he was, they, you know, they turned turned the White House into Camelot even though they called his place up there in maine Camelot or wherever the you know wherever the heck that place is but they man, they, he was royalty Jim compared, i'll tell you I'll to- tell you a
1: story about about uh President Kennedy's election. I was nine years old and then uh let's say I guess I'd have been in fourth grade at the time. And and there was a little girl in the second grade that rode the same school bus as me. And I just happened to live in a suburb of Boston, Mass., that year. Uh, And this little that I'll never forget this little girl sitting in the back of the school bus saying... When John F. Kennedy gets elected president, he's going to change it to a four-day school week. And when he does, I'll kiss him. (laughs) And, you know, I've often thought that's kind of the perfect metaphor for the Democrat voter today. You know, they think they're going to get pie in the sky, Mm. and they can just hardly wait to give them a big old wet sloppy kiss for giving them Mm. something that isn't ever really going to happen. You know what I mean? Right.
8: You know, he he gave he gave the he gave the hardworking people of this country one of the biggest tax breaks that nobody had ever given this country, and and I remember that you know speech. Man, ask not what you your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. And
1: that was his inaugural address on January Absolutely. the twentieth, nineteen sixty one. Jim, Thank thanks so sir. much for calling. I appreciate you. Anybody else wants to right jump man. in the conversation, we'd be glad to have you. 837-0925. Did I get that right? 837? No? 823-0965. 823-0965. Okay. I, always, I always forget it. Paul, give him the phone number. 823-0965.
2: It's 501-823-0965. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, we need somebody here who's not senile. Thanks for being the guy. All righty. Well, listen, we're talking about some of our glorious, glorious Democrats that we've got running for president here. And, man, I tell you, there are some of them. Pete Buttigieg, he's one of this, this uh, clown car here. He's a number 11. Uh, give us number 11 there, would you please, Zach?
4: And faith doesn't have to be something to divide us. First of all, we've got to recognize that one of those many values honored by our flag is the fact that it belongs to people of every religion and of no religion equally. That's a basic American principle. But I'm also offering to people who are guided by a faith tradition in making their decisions about what they think is right and wrong. That when I'm president, you'll never have to look at the White House and scratch your head and think, Whatever happened, I was hungry and you fed me. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Whatever you've done to the least of these, you have done to me. Those values matter too. I'm thinking about democracy, not as a system, but as a value. The the belief that... Our country is better when the views of everybody are taken into account and when we have a system that actually reflects what we, the American people, want. That's why it's so important to do something about Citizens United and get money out of politics.
1: All right. Pete Buttigieg, he likes to bring his religion into it, and I am not in a position to criticize anybody else's personal beliefs. But when he tries to extend a, his version of Christianity into the public square. I think he I think he opens himself up to being questioned whether or not he's properly understood what his well, own he, religion he, he says. He
2: quotes a little bit of Jesus,
1: I think from, was it Matthew 5? But, the, but the, the, did Jesus say, go to your neighbor and hold a gun to his head and force him to contribute to the poor? No, no, he didn't. Or man. did he tell you that you should contribute a, to the yeah, poor? It's a
2: personal obligation. It's yeah, the implication there is you are standing before God as an individual and, and and god is speaking to you at judgment and asking or telling you that i was hungry and you did not feed me and speaking of in, in the in the um, uh, metaphor of not helping the poor or, or of that nature but it's not god is not bringing a corporation the government corporately before before his throne and and, 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 and I would, questioning their morality he's bringing I, an, an, an individual
1: I would not want to stand before the great white throne and say to the Almighty, I voted for people who took other people's money to feed the poor. I'm good.
2: Yeah, I, and I voted for someone who cut my taxes and raised my neighbor's taxes so that they would do what was my responsibility to do.
3: Yeah, I don't think he's heard the parable of the Good Samaritan.
2: Oh, you mean, yeah. you, maybe, maybe we need to re- revise that parable a little bit so that it's – Well, you know, this this Samaritan fellow, he he found this guy on the side of the road, and he was sick. And so he robbed four other (laughs) people— And hire someone else to go take care
1: of the, 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 the beat-up guy on the side of the road. All right. I got. i I'd love to talk more about this good Samaritan analogy because I think you are right on. But we need to make some money for Dave first so he can afford to trip back from the secret location <laughs> where he's hiding out right now. We'll be back in just a few. You're back on the Dave Ellswick Show, and we want you to hear something real quick from our president, duly elected through the constitutional process of the Electoral College.
9: And above all, we will never stop fighting for the cherished values that bind us together as one America. We support, protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. We stand with the incredible heroes and warriors of law enforcement. We believe in the dignity of work and the sanctity of life. We believe that faith and family, not government and bureaucracy, are the true American way. We believe that children should be taught to love our country, honor our history, and always respect our great American flag.
1: Well, I tell you, the Queen's accent still (laughs) grates on me a little bit, but what he had to say... Was what I would want a great American president to say. Our Constitution doesn't put it on the people through their government to solve every single problem that we have. You need faith. You need home. You need family.
2: Right. In fact, the the, the Constitution actually prohibits government from doing a great many things because there's you've got the Tenth Amendment that tells government essentially that you know what if it's not mentioned in the Constitution,
1: hands off. Exactly. So and we can't solve everybody's problem that's part of the problem with with all these elizabeth warren types and all, all right. and pretty much everybody on that side is they want to say have you got a problem I've got a plan for that. She's going, and my plan is to take somebody else's money and solve your problem. Right? Or, 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 she's going to write away poverty with one stroke of the pen. There'll be no more
3: poverty in America. There'll be no more poor people. She's going to solve all the problems with one stroke of a with one well, stroke of a pen. There have always been poor people. Jesus said that the poor will always, always be be with, with you. you. Jesus said that, and it's personal obligation and the government like you said is never going to take away and do all our personal obligations for us and the only people that can make an america
1: great just like jfk said are the citizens ask not uh like you brilliantly pointed out before our lord and savior didn't tell us to act through corporations or through government to do good works he told us that it was our obligation to feed the poor, our obligation individually. We individually find him for salvation. We individually face his father for judgment. And we individually must do what we can to fulfill his commandments and 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 when Pete Buttigieg says we should feed the poor and take care of them god bless him i i I like what he says but he says i should come with a gun and force you to do it now i got a disagreement with him right
2: and that's and that's the problem is is that
1: yes charity is good
2: but if i if i go over and 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 take money from r.d hopper which means he can't take care of his mother and I use that money to go help some other person that I haven't even vetted. <laughs> and, and I don't even know if they're they're worthy or not. You know, R. D. Hopper has a has a real responsibility to take care of his parents as Family they get comes older. first. And, and, and Biblical whereas, family comes first. Whereas if if I'm just I start a, start some program and and I just <clears throat> make it so that you know if you if you cross off the right T's and dot the right I's we're gonna give you some of R. D. Hopper's money.
1: See, and this is essentially in microcosm. What happened in the Soviet Union? In the Soviet Union, they they were truly going to go the Elizabeth Warren way. Everybody's problem, every problem of everybody was the responsibility and under the auspices of a central committee. And that's why every five-year plan failed. They had no response to market forces. They had... Constantly right. overproduction, underproduction, right. government constant is, shortages. Government
2: is not smart enough to determine how resources should be allocated. Markets are one of the most efficient ways to allocate resources. You know, it, it, the the best material in the world to make bullets out of might be gold. But guess <laughs> what? But guess what? From a market standpoint. It is not. It is not. It does not make sense to make bullets out of gold. Yeah, where do they get my fillings? <laughs> right. Instead, they, they mix I it with mercury you and use, put it in your head.
3: I tell you what they use bullets for. They put people in charge of the farms. And they go to the people that's in charge of the farms and say, "This is how many people that we give you, and this is what your production's going to be now. If you don't have the production with the people that we give you to do it with, then there's going to be a bullet all right because you're going you're going to take a bullet so instead of you having capitalism where everybody is out trying to be productive and and provide jobs and do things, the word I like is profitably." you've got the government holding guns to people's head and saying that if you don't meet your quotas, then we'll take you out and put somebody else in your place. Is
1: it not amazing that capitalism has lifted more people out of poverty and more people out of hunger than anything else in the history of the world? And the cool thing about free
2: market capitalism, free markets, is that it's peaceful. It doesn't require violence and force. It's Artie Hopper has a Service that I can benefit from, and I have a product or a service that he can benefit from, we get together, we trade, we do... It's not a zero-sum game. We you do both business.
1: come out ahead. Right.
2: He's wealthier when, we, when we're done with a transaction, and I'm wealthier. Both of us are better off. The pie got bigger. And you don't have to tax me to do it. Right. The pie gets bigger
1: with free markets. Well, that's exactly so. The pie does not get bigger when the government runs everything. We have ample historical evidence so no, the truth of that. Now, when we get back, I think after the top of the hour break, we should talk about the fact that uh, that near front run Elizabeth Warren, she's a capitalist to her very bones. <laughs> oh. Oh, oh, we'll see you right after the top capitalist. of the hour news. You're listening to the Dave Ellswick Show. Dave. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1, The Answer. And uh, I know you're disappointed Dave's not here. I am too. Man, he's the number one talk show host in Little Rock, without a doubt. And. We're going to miss him until he gets back, but I, I think the Trump campaign called him to some high-level strategy <laughs> sessions to discuss the next phase of the destruction of the Democratic Party as we know it. So when Dave gets back here in a day or two, I'm sure he'll have an interesting report so, on So that.
2: basically the, the strategy with the de- of destroying the Democratic Party is to give them some more rope,
1: right? I, I think at this point that it is because we have – all of them have agreed that we should have open borders. All of them have agreed – that we should give free health insurance to everybody who walks across the open borders. All of them have agreed that uh, convicted felons in prison should be able to vote in their local elections and national elections. Uh, They, I believe, all agree that we should have a 16-year-old vote because that would help add to the uninformed vote, which, of course, helps them. Uh, What else? Uh, And, of course, they all want the Green New Deal and Medicare for all because, oh, it would be so wonderful if government just solved all of our problems. And and if the government needs to solve a problem, Elizabeth Warren's got a plan for that. Let's go with cut number 30, please, Zach. Uh,
10: Here it's 100%. It doesn't raise taxes on anybody but billionaires. And you know what? The billionaires can afford it, and I don't call them middle class. So billionaire, that's where it worked.
4: Anyone under a billion dollars that
10: worked? That's right. It's not paying a penny more. That's exactly right.
1: Well, gee whiz, no wonder she's a capitalist to her very bones. She's looking out for us little guys, isn't she? She only wants to kill the billionaires. And you can keep your doctor and oh. and you know <laughs> uh, she may not have said she wanted to kill him but there's there's an event from history that your buddy Lucas and I were were very familiar with uh, from our recent studies and that is the uh, the subjugation of the Knights Templars by Philip the Fair the king of France who owed the Templars <laughs> a lot of money the Templars you see invented banking and so yes, that's sure and they loaned a lot of money to the king and the king not only didn't want to pay them back, he wanted their money, too, and he and his puppet pope, Clement V, suppressed the Templars in a most dramatic fashion. You know why Friday the 13th is considered unlucky? It's because on Friday the 13th of October in 1307, the minions, I should say the administrative officers of Philip. Uh, the 4th of France, opened their sealed orders all on the same day, the morning of Friday the 13th, and saw they had secret orders not known previously that they were to rush out that very day and seize every Templar in the entire kingdom of France Uh, to be rounded up, and eventually most of them burned at the stake if they didn't recant their heresy and go along with the king and everything they wanted. So let's just put this in the context of our present day. Uh, Let's say that that Elizabeth Warren becomes president and has such an efficient administration, she's able to pull off a Philip the Fair uh, type of a deal where she seizes every billionaire in America in their sleep on maybe January 22nd, you know, third day of her presidency. She seizes every billionaire in America in their sleep in the middle of the night, has them hauled off, convicted of heresy, burned at the stake, all of their property confiscated and the federal government lays its hand on every penny owned by every billionaire except for the in ones the who United donated
2: States. to her campaign.
1: Well, you know, even leaving that aside, if she even included them, she would not have 10% of the money that she needs for her Medicare for All plan mm-hmm. and for their Green New Deal. I said this is We're talking about hundreds of times the income of the United States government right. but, that but, would be but paid th- out over, just, over but, just a few years. But just think about all this spending is going to
2: stimulate the economy oh, and, man, and, and st- make us all rich. If, if government will just well, spend trillions and trillions of dollars employing mm-hmm. all of us, then we'll
1: all be rich, uh, right? But, uh, but to get back to the little quote that we just heard, she said that no – she won't raise taxes on anybody that doesn't have a billion dollars. Right, now, right. Now, so, so maybe they'll call it fees. We've heard this before, hadn't we? Maybe they'll call it fees instead of taxes. Now, if any of you folks out there in the listening audience in Dave Ellswick land would like to call and contradict us or, or, or set us on the right path and and bring us back to our senses, or perhaps just bring up something we hadn't thought of, uh, you're welcome to call in. Paul, tell them the phone number, would
2: you? 501-823-0965. Again, 501-823-0965.
1: I admire a guy with a head for numbers. <laughs> you know, socialism
3: doesn't cost any more money. You know, huh. we can, we can pay for everybody's health care. We can pay for their free college tuition. And uh, won't
2: cost a dime. Won't cost anybody just, a dime. Just more. just print that money, or borrow it from China, or from some other country, and just, just but just print the money, and it will stimulate the economy, and all of us will be rich. Government could send a check to everybody every year for four hundred thousand dollars, and all of us would have hundreds of thousands Except of dollars. Except
1: a loaf of bread would cost a hundred thousand dollars. It might, but night. that's okay. <laughs> but at least we'll be at least within a few years, we will all be millionaires. Yeah. Yeah, we'd all be kind of like in Zimbabwe, you know, that. and, and, and Zimbabwe got the what, at one point, wasn't it, wasn't it something like 100,000 percent inflation? Annually? I can't remember. I, th- it was, and, I mean, it, it, was, was, it was it was it was a mind boggling. It, it it's was. Like it, it, you couldn't carry. It was worse than the Weimar Republic in the 1930s. You had Germany. a wheelbarrow full of cash and, they, and yeah. they dumped the wheelbarrow
2: out and take the wheelbarrow because they didn't want the cash.
3: The
1: wheelbarrow was worth more than the cash <laughs> by the time you got to the store.
3: I, I bet uh, her spreadsheet. Bri- Sheet for how she's going to pay for all this is probably like Obamacare. He's just you, we don't need to look into any of this to make sure it totals up we well, just need to go ahead and vote her in and then pass it then after we vote her in and then pass we'll figure it, out what's in then,
1: we, then we'll figure out so what's in it after we get in and pass it uh, i've got to admit I, I don't really know if dave has any democrat listeners i kind of half suspect that if he hadn't run them all off by now i probably ran off the last two or three in the in the last hour so it may be my fault but but if, if you're one of the people that believe Elizabeth Warren when she says she's going to give everybody free health insurance, it's going to be wonderful, and nobody but billionaires are going to pay for it. If you believe that, you have a level of naivete that almost guarantees you are an Obama voter in the first place. And in the second place, means that you probably will blindly walk into the same kind of trap that we did with Obamacare. You can keep your doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was designed to fail.
2: And so she can probably, you know, use some carefully crafted language and say that, you know, some of these giant corporations will be taxed more. And even though the corporations are going to pass on that tax to their customers she can perhaps say that well we didn't tax their customers we just taxed the corporations and the tor- corporations paid it well of course the customers actually paid it in reality because the fact is that that if if a corporation has to has to spend an extra um 100 million dollars or several billion dollars guess who actually comes up with that money
3: It doesn't have to be taxes raised either because since Obamacare, my health care insurance has gone up 70% 70 in my business. It's Mm -hmm. over $70,000 a year. Only 70%? Only 70%. (laughs) So that's not necessarily taxes. But when you have capital cronies, what you can say is, if you're going to sell insurance in Arkansas, then you need to give us this percentage, this, you need to pay this, and you need to pay that. So not only... Do they raise their taxes to be able to do all of this socialism? They fee the insurance companies by the states and federal government Mm -hmm. to be able to take our money and give it to them. So in uh, crony capitalism. So uh, we get robbed. Uh, from the insurance companies, and they have to pay the fees, which is the taxes. So the insurance to companies the, on some
2: level all, or, or other agencies. It all
1: works its way down. And That's end up right. being the
2: tax collectors for the government. and exactly. they call it. And they call it, and they spell that tax F-E-E.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> all righty. I tell you what, before we go to our uh, middle of a half-hour break, why don't we, just for fun, Let's listen to uh, one of the people that really likes socialism. Uh, we've got <clears throat> cut number twenty-nine. Representative Ilhan Omar uh, is making her official endorsement of socialist supreme Bernie Sanders.
10: And Minnesota, that is why I am here today, supporting Prince, Ber- Bernie Sanders for president. <laughs>
1: It doesn't matter what his name is, as long as he's a total lefty. And you know, if you're a total lefty who hates the Constitution and hates America, yeah, you're going to be able to bring in the squad on that. I tell you what,
3: um, the donors, probably all the people... That, uh, that benefit from socialism, all the companies and everything. They're probably paying into the campaigns
1: yeah. and everything else. It's just like windmills. <laughs> kind of like that solar power uh, uh, was Solyndra, the solar power company yeah. that made a massive donation to Obama and then got an even more massive donation to them of taxpayer money and then went out of business without, I don't mm. think, making even any solar panels. That's a green. That's a good green deal right there. That's that's kind and of the green that, deals they that, like. That's the kind of green deal that you get. Yeah. Uh, you get the cronies of the socialists, get the green, the rest of us get the shaft. So that's a huh? green yeah. deal right, Let's right there. Let's take our break in the middle of the half hour and pay a couple of bills, mm-hmm. and we'll come back with some more exciting stuff. Well, maybe not Dave, but he'll report back to us later in the week, I'm very hopeful. And this is Carl Kimball along with Paul Calvert, R.D. Hopper. And uh, we just got through listening to that wonderful uh, paragon of virtue, innocence, and and morality, Liawatha, a.k.a. Focahontas, telling us how it was not going to cost you a penny to get all the free health care you could ever want for the rest of your life. All you got to do is elect her president. Mm, makes, now, makes lots of now, now, sense. the one who is closest to her ideologically, of course, is Bernie Sanders. Bernie and, and she differ markedly in style, but to my m- mind, hardly a bit on substance let's listen to that crotchety old bernie what he says cut 18 there please Zach. and because we are getting rid
4: of the profiteering and the corruption in the health care industry the drug companies and the insurance companies will be able to provide all of that to people at a fraction of the cost they are paying right now not here to tell you it's going to be free you're going to have to pay something But it's going to be a heck of a lot less than what you're currently paying.
1: Well, so, gosh, we are going to have to pay something for it, according to Bernie. Maybe give him a little credit there. But on the other hand, he says we're going to save all this money that's being lost on corruption and on on inefficiency. So if the government handles it, we're not going to have corruption or inefficiency. Is that what I just heard? Yeah, Yeah, the
3: government take it over. Much like communism, the government's going to take it over, and the government's going to oversee it and and, and get, make sure everybody gets what they deserved, and there won't be any corruption involved, and and, and it'll be cheap, you know, free will be will uh, right, be real cheap because the government always does a real efficient way of distributing right, wealth,
2: right? Because right now we don't have any government, we don't have much government involvement. Of course, the government is. Highly, highly involved in medical care. It's, it's about the probably is the most regulated industry it in the world. The problem, and aside and from and nuclear and that's power. why
1: we have three times the inflation rate in medical uh, uh, expenses that yeah. we do in all the rest of the economy. Inflation's low except in what the government's control. Exactly. right? And
2: they still kill tens of thousands of people, if not hundreds of thousands of people, every year due to their, due to preventable medical errors. From what I from what I gather from the from the research and such that's insane they've taken the free market out of healthcare, care and when you mm-hmm. take
3: the free market out of healthcare, care mm-hmm. then you drive up the cost Amen, and, and, and,
2: and you end up misallocating resources free markets are very good at proper allocation
1: of resources because the goods and services flow to where they can be paid for and where right. they're needed right
2: and, and and just like you know Money helps to to draw in goods and services, and so you know if I really need a bottle of water, if I'm very thirsty, guess what? Guess how much I'm going to pay for that bottle of water?
1: Whatever you need to. How how thirsty am I? Yeah, how thirsty right. are you?
2: And so you know if it's bad enough, I might pay six, seven, eight, ten dollars a bottle for water. If it's if it's if it's if, doctor, it was, if
1: it was between that and dying of thirst, I bet you'd pay more than that. Absolutely I would. would say that's not fair. Well
2: it's fair or not, but guess what? But it's if, reality. It is reality. And so the fact is that as markets as market forces drag those bottles of water towards me, if I'm willing to pay ten dollars a bottle for, for bottled water, guess what? There's lots of college kids who are gonna hop in their little Hondas. And start and rush
1: off to somewhere that's got water.
2: Rush off to, to to wherever they can find bottles of water and bring them to me because I'm thirsty. No, they won't because they're getting their education for free. Not <laughs> maybe maybe about so. it. Well, but, they don't need any money. The maybe government's so, going to solve all but, the problems. But believe it or not, those market <laughs> forces will drag a lot of kids out, I, out of their I, college I, dorms to go make that that big those big bucks hauling um, co- cocaine prices
1: for water. And, and see, so, you know what our what our glorious founding fathers had. Was a perspective on reality. When they put together our Constitution and set up the form of government that they had, they did not plan on mankind dragging himself up by his bootstraps and performing some utopian miracle of overcoming all human frailty and becoming the Star Trek future where nobody needs money and we all fly around being good friends except with the Klingons. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's about as realistic. But uh, the people who put our constitution together—they were realists. John Kennedy was a realist. Elizabeth Warren is not. She's she's feeding us a fantasy line.
2: Well, and so many of us today, we 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 live in a fantasy world. America itself is somewhat of a fantasy world because we've got so much luxury. We we can, if if you try just a little bit, you can really become pretty wealthy. The fact is, minimum wage is pretty stinking wealthy if you look at the history of the world and and the way that people have lived if you if you if you work 40 hours a week at minimum wage you probably live nicer than a lot of kings have over the history, history of the world well, well, you better enjoy it
3: because with the minimum wage hacks that are going up you know pretty soon when they get it rose too high you won't have a job anymore
2: and that's and that's a problem I, i've got
1: yeah, uh, when, uh, the, the, the pay for doing nothing has gone up <laughs> whereas the the, the uh, ability to work for a small amount has been eliminated, and, and, that's, and so you don't get in on the ground floor. If you're right. not worth fifteen dollars an hour, you're unemployable. And uh, people who make over fifteen dollars an hour usually started out somewhere way lower than that, learning the skills exactly. of, right. of making and, a living. And so,
2: part of the problem is that so sometimes there might be it might be actually true that you can always find a job making minimum wage for the vast majority of the population. But one of the things that I think we fail to recognize is that minimum wage can drastically drastically cut down on our options. And so maybe I can get a job working at the landfill if I'm not very skilled, <coughs> making the new minimum wage of fifteen bucks an hour wherever that might be. But I might not be able to go get a job working at a welding shop where I can actually learn a skill that I want to that I want to um, um, employ myself with over the over the next thirty years. And get so, a
3: job with the state,
2: you know, right, right. Get a get a job <laughs> so.
3: The problem is the small businesses, they're getting left out of this deal. So you need to get a job with the state. You need to get a job. The higher minimum wage kills small businesses. Yeah, so you're taking small businesses out of this equation. What you're doing, you're killing small businesses. So the more taxes go up, the more fees goes up, the more licensing there is, and the more they raise minimum wage, that is not – a a free capital market well, it's that not. it's artificially inflating things yeah. and uh, people are going to be without jobs on on the bottom and they're not going
1: to get the training. I started out carrying out groceries mm-hmm. at a grocery store. It's been a- decades a- since I a- was a- uh, working for a for an hourly wage, but when I gave up my dream of being a great medieval historian and became a capitalist in September of 1974. I was really, really lousy at it. I mean, I was one crappy capitalist, but I had high hopes of not starving to death and maybe even making a, my, a something of myself someday. So I kept at it, and I had I had to learn to work harder, and I had to learn to work smarter right. so and, I didn't starve to death and, or end up on welfare. And that's
2: one of the incredibly valuable things about market forces is that if you actually have a free market forces, then... If I've got, if I'm not very productive, and I go ask for a job somewhere, and I and we we talk, we negotiate wages, and he says, "Well, I'll I'll try you out for for five bucks an hour, and if and if and if I can work with that, and you can work with that, but then you
1: can't support a family of four on that. Maybe maybe maybe
2: not. But but the fact is that so, if you don't so,
3: have a job and you're making five dollars an hour, you don't need a family of four. <laughs> you put the cart before the horse. Maybe so. You, you, but but you you. Doing things in the right order. Yeah,
1: you learn a trade. First you get an education, including learning a trade if that's your program. that's exactly right. You get a job, Mm -hmm. then you get married, then you have kids. If you do it in that order, you succeed.
2: But the thing is (laughs) we are running out of time,
1: got a hard break coming up, so we will see you right after the news at the bottom of the hour here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And we're back, and it's a Beautiful day in my hometown, Little Rock, Arkansas. Delighted to have you with us. And we would welcome you to call in, correct us, tell us we're full of baloney. Give us a little pat on the back, anything you want. Give us the phone number again, Paul. 501-823-0965. Now, that guy's got a good voice for radio, and he remembers (laughs) numbers so much better than I do. Thank you, Paul. Yes, sir. Uh, Well, we've been talking about some of the – and, of course, obviously, Dave's not here uh, we miss Dave, and we hope he's back soon. Uh, he'll wrap up that secret meeting. I bet he's so full of good ideas that, <laughs> that he'll, come, he'll come back here glowing, I imagine, in the next couple of days. We're hoping to see him soon. Uh, anyway, uh, we've been talking about some of this glorious field of fellows and gals with the rubber noses and big shoes that have been mm-hmm. climbing out of the brightly colored Volkswagen onto the Democratic stage. So is,
2: is this one of those cases where... Um, so in the past, sometimes we've had the the pickings for president <laughs> have been so bad that just picking someone randomly out of the phone book would have been better than these presidential candidates. Well, you, but but at this point, is it is it kind of maybe to the point where we would actually be do better off picking random names out of the local prison uh, roster?
1: Uh, well, I'm, I hope not that. But but uh, you know, William F. Buckley, who was the father of modern conservatism. Once famously said he would rather be governed by the first thousand names in the Boston phone book than the faculty at Harvard. Well, which I think similar applies. And you know, right. here's one of the people that I would never want to be governed by. And normally, I kind of think that that these these on the View get way more press than than their viewership or their mental capacity could possibly what? justify. But but I, I just I just had to chuckle when I saw this quote from Joy Behar because you're someone who's all, pretty much never right about anything, but she accidentally swerves into a great and profound truth here, to much to the embarrassment of uh, her fellow Democrats. I think cut nineteen, please, Zach.
5: Beta. When I my husband told me that he got out of the race, I think he's actually like a beta test for why going national so quickly and being beloved yeah. by the media is always dangerous. Yeah. I said that when he came on here with the Van Fair cover. He raised 80 million dollars. Obama was publicly drawing comparisons to him, mm-hmm. like saying like he, he's like me, and he got a ton of Obama staff. I will also say that his stance on gun buybacks, um, Mayor Pete said it was a shiny object that distracts from achievable gun reform. Chris Coons said it wasn't a wise policy or move, and that clip will be played for years at Second Amendment with rallies with organizations that try and scare people by saying that Democrats are coming for your guns. He also made um, some statements about religious institutions being, um, getting their tax-exempt status, excuse me, removed from them um, because they, if they didn't support same-sex marriage. So he did a lot of, like, battleground culture war, and he ran as the most left, most woke candidate, and look where he ended, one of well, the first out They should of not raid. tell everything they're going to do. Like, if you're going to take people's guns away, wait till you get elected. Then take the guns away. Don't tell them ahead of time Which, by the way that's what that's what people like me think you're gonna do that's what people like me think is gonna happen
1: okay
2: there you there you have it so, she's giving him uh, giving advice on how to be a good nazi
1: exactly see she's she's really swerved into the truth here uh because beto of course you know nobody really wanted to see beto's dental procedures anyway and God knows if he'd stayed in the race much longer, we'd have probably been treated to a colonoscopy. But, uh, you know, Beto was never really a candidate to take seriously. He was a, a complete empty suit, and he had to make—he you know, Yeah, may have been very woke, but he had to make wild, woke gestures in order to try and but, but draw what, some attention to himself. But, but, and one what, of them was just, yes, hell yes, I'm coming for your AR-15. Right,
2: and so is he. was he just— um, spewing the kind of mainstream Washington Democrat ideology there, and, and it, it just kind of got loose. Is that is that what he did? Did, did he, or, or was he actually he was said, he actually out of line with the, with
1: the Democrat Party? No, he said what every single one of them want to do. But he was the one that was so stupid that he didn't realize that you wasn't supposed to let anybody know until after he got elected, yeah, uh, he which, is what, which is what the normally brainless Joy Behar actually swerved onto a profound truth. Boy, if you're going to take people's guns away, get elected first. Don't tell them first. I mean, you know, Beto didn't have that much support to lose to start well, with. But well, if Beto had been in a close race... And, and it was a situation where he actually had had a chance, which I realize is kind of a stretch. But mm-hmm. if Beto had actually had a chance, he blew it big time as soon as he said, hell yes, I'm coming for your
3: guns. Yeah, he was swinging for the fences in the bottom of the ninth inning by trying to see if he could raise the radicals. But also the, the Democratic Party has also circled and killed anybody that was any kind of sense of normalcy. I mean, not that anybody that's a Democrat, R. but if you look do you, at you think Delaney, there,
1: do you think that there is one Democrat on that stage that wouldn't take your AR-15s if he thought he could get away with it? No, they probably all would, but, you know, I saw Delaney stand
3: up there on the stage when they were all were saying that, that Medicaid for all and and, and everybody's going to have free health care insurance, and, and Delaney did stand up there and say, you know, listen, you know, my father was a steel worker and he liked the insurance that he had that he got through the union and I don't think you can outlaw something that Half of America is happy with, so they circled around him.
1: Uh, and, is he still and in the race? Him. No, no, he, he no, he dropped no. out. He dropped off the well, race John Donnett, man, he he was he was the one guy that, had, that had just about almost sounded sane. I know it. So there was, but one you know,
3: sane. You, you can't have he, a sane one in that. You know, bunch. he didn't
1: have a chance. I'm going to make a lot of I'm going to make a lot of enemies right now, Paul. You should probably cut my mic <laughs> before I before I before I lose <laughs> what remaining support that I've got in the world here. But you know why, Delaney he didn't have a chance why is that because since women got the right to vote in 1920 we have only ever elected one bald man president and he a was a national treasure who won world war ii and b only ran against another bald guy so you take out the two eisenhower adlai stevenson elections the candidate with the better hair won practically every election, and certainly bald guys don't have a chance. So he, oh, wow. he was he was doomed from go. I think you're not supposed, you're not supposed to notice those things. Okay, hey, let's talk about another one of the crazies. This is one that that is uh, the front runner only because he is supposedly more electable and less nuts than the rest of them. Cut twenty one, our old buddy Joe Biden.
4: Would you simply reinstate the Iran nuclear deal? I, I would. I would reinstate the Iran nuclear deal. Conditioned on Iran, us being able to verify which was the most intensive inspection regime in all of human history. It makes no sense at all to have walked away from that. But I would not yield on the commitments that had to be made by the Iranians and or the significant ability to prevent the Iranians from being able to benefit from their oil and or trade absent them keeping the commitment on nuclear power.
1: So... We had a deal that pretty much guaranteed that Iran would have nukes in ten years and uh, we also gave them by the way billions and billions of dollars of cash
3: mmm plane
1: loads whole plane loads of cash take plane loads over there yeah I'm afraid we'll never get the cash back but uh, but what do you think about what do you think about the Iran deal do you think jumping back in the Iran deal would slow down Iran getting a nuke do you think that it would Advance the cause of world peace? Well, it advance the cause of ISIS because we're giving them billions of dollars
3: to fund terrorists to fight us.
2: Well, I think this is another example of, th- of throwing rocks at a hornet's nest. Mm-hmm. If they really are dangerous people that, that are they're really a serious threat to the U.S., why are we throwing rocks at them? Take them out. If they're not a serious threat, leave them alone. But if they really are so serious that we need to take... Um, a serious action against them to to prevent them from getting certain types of weapons. Why are we allowing them to be their own country? No. I mean, seriously, we we need to quit um, um, uh, 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 stepping lightly. Either either you either we do something real or go home. Thank you, John Bolton. Something real. I, I mean this 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 business of, of just pestering these countries, and and we're just gonna. We're going to slap you on the wrist here and there if we if you do things we don't like, but we're not actually going to take serious action to make things stop. What
3: you're going to do, you're going to bribe them to make you look good. Yeah. That's basically what they've been doing. They've another, been trying to bribe them to make the look good. Another thing that Joe would good. like
1: for us to do is ratify the Paris Climate Accords, which uh, we officially – and it's, it's odd. I, yesterday – we officially announced that we were withdrawing from the Paris Climate Accords, which becomes officially effective a year from now. And yet, since the Senate's never ratified it, in fact, I think it was defeated in the Senate under Bill Clinton, 99 to 0 mm. against. And so it's never been the law of the land here anyway. But the Paris Climate Accords, ironically, all those countries that are still in it, have none of them have reduced the amount of carbon gases they put into the air as much as we have. Hmm. They, they, no, well, none of them have come close to meeting their goals. Well, and, and if we all had met those goals, of course, it would have hurt the United States, and it would have been a huge boon for China and India. Right, we've just got science deniers that are promoting this garbage. <clears throat> Sorry, carbon
2: dioxide is not a pollutant. Carbon dioxide is just a normal part of life.
1: It's, it's a necessary part of life. Well, see, carbon monoxide is what's thrown off. When, Or carbon dioxide, I should say, yeah. is what's thrown off when human beings breathe. And so since right. the and planet when, is polluted when, by human beings, then anything we give anything, off is a pollution.
2: just about anything burns or is digested, <laughs> when, we, when we actually utilize energy, we, it almost always produces carbon dioxide as a byproduct. And that carbon dioxide is then used as the basic building block yeah. uh,
1: along with water. To produce life again. I was about to say that's because on our planet at least all living things are based on carbon. So yes,
2: we are carbon
1: life forms. They release carbon uh, uh, when they uh, decay, right. they expel carbon when they breathe or ingest it when they breathe in the case of plants. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the, the the nature of life on Earth
2: is that essentially all life is 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 is, is fueled by photosynthetic energy from the sun. The, the, the plants um, produce um, – they grow because the sun shines on them, and they, they use that energy to take carbon dioxide out of the air and take water out of the ground or from the sky that falls on them, and it turns in to, to – to, um, to, to, it builds carbon life forms. I thought and, life was
1: fueled by government subsidies well, well <laughs> the, more, didn't you, the more stimulus carbon, packages the more carbon dioxide in the air the more plant growth the more yeah. plant growth the more oxygen it's, well, I mean, it's, it's just
2: life. it's just part of the circle of life and you know you can pot, you can concentrate carbon dioxide too much in certain areas and you might hurt people but in general it's not a global issue to to have a little more carbon dioxide in the air in fact it might actually improve the the um the um habitability of the earth because you know Uh, right
1: now we've got large portions of
2: the earth where we can't live
1: because it's too cold it is a historical fact that in periods of warming weather and of course the climate's always changing and when the climate is warming humankind prospers when the climate is cooling not so much. We, we, and, we, and if we want to worry about the climate, of course, the climate's going to be affected primarily by the sun, by activity on the sun. Solar much activity. Much Europe. more so than. And, not and we had, <laughs> uh, you know, even if, even if the climate uh, uh, alarmists are correct about how much the temperature is going to go up in the mm-hmm. next hundred years, it will still not be as hot as it was in 1000 AD, mm-hmm. where we didn't have any. Uh, Major pollution. We don't have. We didn't have any industrial pollution. Uh, and and, to and there, there may
2: have only been a but, few. A few. What? Maybe a, a couple hundred million people on the planet at that yeah, time.
1: Well, the, or uh, maybe the, fewer. Well, probably more. I think there were probably more than that because you, you, there were still Chinese and Indians in thousand A.D. and there weren't as many as now. But there were a whole bunch of them. Maybe so. But uh, there weren't many in North America. Mm-hmm. And of course, the population of Europe was cut significantly by the Black Plague. Now, mm-hmm. uh, those things happen. Yeah. You know? right, but, uh, but at the end of the day, though.
2: The, f- the fact is that if you know a little bit about climate and a little bit about physics, um, you know, global warming might actually produce
1: an environment on this planet that is more conducive to life. It would be bad for people like President Obama who just bought a multi-million dollar mansion right on the beachfront perhaps. Maybe, maybe but not. But for mankind as a whole… A little warmer than it is now would not be a disaster. I, I think it would still not be as bad as a 1,000. Right. They grew wheat in Greenland and grapevines in New England <laughs> in 1,000 A.D. Mm. And then we've had this mm-hmm. long stretch where things kind of cooled, cooled off. off. It's going in cycles. Okay, let's make some money for Dave so we can afford his plane ticket back from his big powwow with the president, and we'll be right (laughs) back to finish the hour up. Well, it would be a lot more stimulating if it was, Dave, but you got Carl Kimball. Unfortunately, I'm buttressed by the mighty men of tuesday afternoon paul calvert and rd hopper and we're uh, talking about the current scene and some of the things that have been talked about this week and there's one that doesn't really fit in with anything else but i think is a great example of how important this upcoming election is so number 12 please
9: you better be careful the second amendment very very important very precious They are after your Second Amendment with us. Nobody's touching our Second Amendment. And that includes the gentleman that's running against Matt. They're after your Second Amendment. We can't let that happen. They want to indoctrinate your children, you know this. Destroy anyone who holds traditional American values. All you have to do is ask the boys from Covington Catholic High School. Some of whom are here tonight. The far left wants to impose their authoritarian ideology on the nation, telling you what to think, what to believe, and how you should live. They want to erase our traditions, our culture, our history, and our heroes. They want to subjugate you and break you to their will, but Kentucky will never be broken. Kentucky can't be broken. You're too strong and you're too smart. In their crazed thirst for power, the Democrats are trying to tear our country apart. First, Democrats engineered the Russia hoax, the most egregious fraud ever foisted upon the American people, the Russian hoax. Then they did the Mueller scam. You remember that, the Mueller scam. Two years and they said nothing. And then Mr. Mueller testified. That was a wonderful day for me. And you remember last week, I don't know Tulsi Gabbard, but Hillary Clinton said that Tulsi Gabbard is a Russian agent. (laughs) I don't know Jill Stein. She's a greenie, and that's fine. She's a greenie, Jill Stein. But Jill Stein was an agent of Russia also. These people are crazy. (laughs) Corrupt politicians, Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff, they are corrupt. And Nancy, (laughs) unlike Kentucky, which is doing great, Nancy ought to stop wasting time, go back to her district in San Francisco, help the homeless, get rid of the drugs, get rid of the needles that are lying all over the street and all of the things that are washing into the ocean through their storm sewer system. What's happened to San Francisco and what's happened to so many other places run by the radical left Democrats, it's unbelievable, Los Angeles. You take a look at Los Angeles, looks like a third world city. But go back to Nancy's area, look at what's happened. There's been no place in the country that's gone down like the area that Nancy Pelosi represents. And she's wasting all of her time. And you know what? It's backfiring. You see it. But the media and the Democrats have launched an even more brazen assault on our nation with a deranged, hyperpartisan impeachment witch hunt. Impeachment. <laughs>
1: Okay, main part I wanted you to hear about that was about the indoctrination of our children. Okay, we've only got about a minute and a half left. Arty, what's your take on all this? Well, if we
3: specifically if you'll bring up the indoctrination of our children, I think that this generation or generations before us and us should – Make sure that that history about the World War II, the history about socialism, the the history about communism, that history needs to be taught in our schools. And if they're going to teach evolution in our schools, every school that teaches evolution should also teach creation, and we believe that there's a God, and that is what our country was found on is biblical principles. So we need to take our schools back. We've given the left wing our schools, and we need to take them back. Well, All right, you know, got about 40 seconds, So Paul. if it wasn't
2: for public education, for taxpayer-funded education, I, I, I can't imagine where the Democratic Party would be today. The, the, the public education is a massive campaign tool for the Democrat Party. They, they've, <laughs> Isn't that they, the they, truth? They take children at the age of four or five years old. They immerse them into socialism for, what, five days a week for seven or eight hours a day, and then, except for during the summer times, and then they have other programs for that in many cases. <laughs> and then by the time they're 18 years old, they're, they're pretty well well done as far as socialism goes. And if you want to get them a little bit overburnt, they go on to college And then they're just almost hardcore Nazis.
1: Well, there's an awful, awful lot of indoctrination going on. And uh, it's bad in college. But yes, you're right. Uh, The Earth Day celebrations, they take the kids out and have them pledge allegiance to the earth. Uh They're not teaching Americanism in the schools anymore.
2: Well, it's time to take it back. Take your kids out of public school if you like them. Yeah, Just like your kids. Well, I don't care about public schools, but don't. Huh. If you like your children, take them out of public school.
1: Or, or, at, or at least you have to give them a strong. Not everyone can afford that, but at, at least you can give them a strong counterbalancing worldview at home. you got to be engaged with your children. If anybody's going to indoctrinate your children, make it you. Thanks for listening to the Dave Ellswick Show. We'll be back after the news at the top of the hour. Thanks for joining us. of radio we heard the dulcet tones of the real dave Ellswick there just a few seconds ago but sadly his rowdy friends have got to hold the fort without him today but we're hoping to have dave back with a report on his top level discussions with uh, people in the highest levels of the trump (laughs) campaign and maybe even the pentagon he may he may not be back till wednesday if he If he gets the Pentagon in on this trip too, but I'm not sure whether that's in the cards or not yet. We'll we'll have to get back to you on Dave's schedule, but we're going to be grateful when he gets back. And for right now, you're stuck with Carl Kimball from Chenal Insurance, Dave's old friend from his libertarian days and acts the food tax days. And I'm lucky enough to have the help and support of R.D. Hopper and Paul Calvert with me here today, and we're grateful to have you guys. I've been talking about this upcoming election and uh, the contrast between, uh, on one hand, a president, however flawed, however bumptious, despite his queen's accent and other (laughs) many shortcomings, uh, on one hand, who actually says that he wants to uphold the Constitution of the United States, and on the other hand, this clown car full of Marxists who want to uh, open the borders, invite in People from other countries to come suck off the taxpayer teat here. Oh yeah, and take your AR-15 away and and uh, let prison. Don't forget let prisoners, uh, felons convicted in prison, have the vote too. And all that good happy horse hockey and and in the meantime, while all this is going on, they think that they are going to fatally damage our president, duly elected by the Electoral College instituted by the founding fathers of our great country with the blessing of God to prevent us from being overwhelmed by the massive hordes of moochers on California and New York's shores. Ah, but they're going to damage him fatally by bringing this impeachment allegation against him. Now, they tried to impeach him from day one, you know, they tried to impeach him over the fact that Hillary had set him up with a, a Russian collusion when she was the one colluding with the Russians. <laughs> and now, now they're trying to get him over the fact that he asked Ukraine to help him uncover and stop the corruption that allowed thousands and thousands of dollars in apparent bribes to go to the family of certain high-ranking Democrat officials in the Obama administration, one of whom, unfortunately, is running for president and considered the most electable. Uh, well, you know, there's a a reason why impeachment is afoot now, and I think that the former CIA director is going to give us a, a good insight into that. Cut 25, please.
11: But there is something unique you'd have to Agree that now oh, totally. the impeachment inquiry is underway, sparked by a complaint from someone within the intelligence well, you know, community. The, the it funny... feeds the president's concern and often used term about a deep state being well, there to take him know, out. you know,
7: thank God for the deep state. <laughs> <laughs>
1: ha, ha, ha. So funny. Thank God, says the former CIA director under Barack Hussein Obama, the worst president in American history, in my humble opinion. CIA director says, thank God for the deep state, because that way unelected bureaucrats representing Not the interest of the American people, but the power and influence of those who have managed to worm their way into the bowels of our too large government. Thank God, he says, that they are able to thwart the will of -hmm. the American people and cause elections to be undone because they don't approve of the people's choice. Where
2: did we get this idea that we should have... Rather large organizations within government that are allowed to operate in secret and remain secret and keep those things secret for many many years, maybe maybe several decades.
1: Who runs the deep state? Or I, who, I wish I could I wish I could remember to, how to pronounce the uh, the Latin version of the phrase. But as the as was used for the title of that great graphic novel, who watches the watchman? Well, whoever's
3: in charge at the time is what it looks like. Just like the IRS was going after the Tea Party members and targeting Tea Party people. And And then then you've got the FISA courts going after someone that's trying to be elected a president that's not favorable to the deep state. And then you've got the Department of Justice where
1: there's no justice left.
3: (laughs) So politicians and insurance companies. Does it amaze
1: you as much as it does me that there are so many Obamites still in high-level positions in Boy, the government where it. they can thwart the <laughs> operation of the executive branch when they don't like it? No, I it doesn't amaze me.
2: It. it doesn't amaze me about the, a lot of the other stuff either. We we have a, a major problem on the executive <clears throat> branch level that that allows government officials to violate us, violate the law, and and basically get away with it. We don't have a uh, we don't have a functional system in many cases
1: to hold these people accountable. Who it, pays it, the price? We do. Who pays the price when Hillary Clinton destroys evidence that's under subpoena? Who pays the price when Hillary Clinton has trafficking and in classified information on unsecured servers? Who pays the
3: price? There's people in prison that didn't do near as much as Hillary Clinton did with a Martha Stewart. Yeah,
1: look at Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart. Stewart. She sold some stock because she heard that it was about to take a plunge, and she unloaded it on some sucker. Or what about some of these these people that are going – were they going to jail because they they bribed some school
2: and had taken their kid that wasn't smart enough to get into the school? I mean –
1: that little low-level stuff, and, and where's the government officials? And, and speaking of low stuff, let's talk about Adam Schiff for just a minute. Uh, would you play cut twenty-eight, please, Zach?
11: The president has called Taylor and also uh, Lieutenant Colonel Venman, quote, "Never Trumpers." These are two people who have uh, who have testified in the past couple of weeks. This is how he described "Never Trumpers" in a in a tweet recently. The never-Trumper Republicans, though on respirators with not many left, are in certain ways worse and more dangerous for our country than do-nothing Democrats. Watch out for them. They are human scum. These are both service members who have devoted... He didn't sessions. mention them by name when he said no, that. No, no, no. I'm talking, talking about, about other people. Okay, so he talked about never-Trumpers, but then he also called Vinvin a never-Trumper, which, if you connect those dots, which he is doing... He's
5: saying that they are human scum. Is that appropriate? He didn't call them, he didn't call the He called them never Trump, Trumpers me, who he... Oh, I don't well, know how he they considers voting, but here's scum. what I'll say. I would never disparage the patriotism or the public service of Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. That's a given for Kellyanne Conway. What I do call into question is, the, and so do the New York Times and Washington Post apparently, his, Mr. Vindman's interpretation of the phone call, that's apparently what he wanted to Correcting the transcript that was rejected because even the New York Times admitted this week in the Washington Post that what he wanted to correct had nothing to do with the ellipses. And number two, Dana, would not have changed the fundamental understanding of the lawmakers as goes that call. So that's very key. So uh, look, many people have testified. Many people will testify. But we literally have Adam Schiff with zero credibility. Why you give him a platform? I'll never know. He's lied to CNN. He's lied to the American people. He leaks. So he no. He comes out and he tells us after eight or ten hours of testimony, the ten minutes he wants the country to know about. That is not the way a democracy that is centered on the rule of law works. They're so upset. We're in the third year anniversary this week, Dana the biggest political upset in modern political history. They still can't I need over. to move on to one other question before we, before the we run out of time. Yeah, but why do they admit what this is really about? Stop, let's stop pretending this is about This is not, Ukrainian aid. We have aid. a Democrat on next. We are going to talk but about this. But let's that I want to ask you about something, something all, that happened this A reasonable person weekend. sitting across from me, whom I respect greatly, let's stop pretending this is about Ukrainian aid and a couple-minute call between the presence of Ukraine and the United States. This is so about Marianne, I red ask, ties, red thank hats, and red necks. You made your point. I want to ask about something that happened this weekend.
1: Okay, that was pretty lively, but uh, what I wanted to hear is Kellyanne Conway, speaking for the president, of course, is talking about Adam Schiff being a liar, and this is not her opinion, this is not a calumny, this is a, a, a provable thing, that Adam Schiff has been, if it's possible to be the most dishonest member of the House of Representatives that little pencil-neck geek probably can take the prize on that. Did you? Didn't you guys ever see that first X-Men movie? The one where the one where where Magneto's captured the politician. He's turned him into a, a mutant, and the mutant politician escapes by squeezing between the bars of his prison cell. And just as his face gets you know, kind of squeezed between the bars, his eyes are kind of bugging out. I think about that scene every time I see Adam Schiff. He, he looks like. He looks like his eyes are about to pop out of his face. Mm-hmm. But, but that little guy, he is no longer anybody that can claim to be an investigator because he's a material witness in this thing. Because this whistleblower, they were talking about this Venman guy, you know, and they're talking about, about these people that are, are complaining about the phone call with the Ukrainian president. Somebody who didn't even, somebody who was a virulent enemy, I'm sure not just of Donald Trump, but of the Republican Party in general, has not even heard the phone call. But he's heard a rumor that the phone call included something that he didn't like. And so he went to Adam Schiff first. And Schiff's staff vets the guy before the whole thing comes up, it, it's essentially the Adam Schiff show. He's arranged this. This has been put together by Adam Schiff and his staff to have this whistleblower come forward. And uh, of course, one reason they're doing all these uh, uh, investigative committees in secret and private down in the secure locked room. And uh not doing it under the auspices of you know normal the public yeah they, they don 't want to have cross examination of these witnesses because they don 't have credible witnesses, and they don 't want to have uh, the public see what kind of people these are they want to they want to set this up in secret, they want to have an anonymous complaint against the president that says that he 's this terrible traitorous, awful guy that needs to be impeached, but we can 't really tell you anything about the guy that's bringing the charges. But, Mm. you know, in America, you have a right to face your accuser. In America, you have a right to see the evidence that's being used against you. Donald Trump is not getting to face his accusers. Donald Trump is not getting to see the evidence that's being used against him. Little pencil neck geek Adam Schiff is having his secret committee meetings and taking secret testimonies and preparing for the big impeachment war where they're going to throw Trump out of office or at least give it a good go, this is the same guy that spent two years telling us that, yes, Trump was an agent of Russia and he had seen and personally had definitive evidence that Donald Trump colluded with Russia. Now, if he really had that evidence, don't you think we'd have seen it by now? Two years he spent telling us that so, uh, it's secret, so you can't see it yet. But I have the evidence. Like like Joe McCarthy waving that piece of paper and saying, I have here a list of communist agents in the government of the United States. And it was a blank piece of paper. Might as well have been. And, and here is Adam Schiff, proven liar that we know has spent years telling us, he has the goods on Donald Trump. Donald Trump's going to be out of there because he has proof positive Donald Trump's a Russian agent who colluded with the Russians. Well, that turned out to be a total and complete lie. And now the same guy is telling us we've got complete, absolute positive proof that he quid pro quo the Ukrainian president. He did s- s- evil. How dare you look into corruption by a Democrat? That's just not done. It's just not done. Corruption by the Democrats completely unimportant, but trying to find out about the corruption of the Democrats has got to be an impeachable offense, and he's got the goods on him. He has evidence. Or does he? Who knows? Do you think he has? Well,
3: it looks like he would have shared it with a few people by now if he had it. He's a material Mueller. witness. Yeah, M- Mueller. Mueller. Could Mueller was a joke. That's exactly it, it right. Turned,
1: it turned out that Mueller hadn't even read his own report. That's why he wasn't going to testify to anything outside the four corners of the Mueller report, is he didn't know anything. out. In fact, he didn't know anything inside the four corners of the Mueller report, apparently. Unbelievable. Okay. I know this is exciting, but I guess we really probably need to make some money for Dave so we can afford to fly him back from the uh, uh, Fortress of Solitude, where he's conferring with Superman about how to put an end to the uh, upcoming disaster which we might be facing. We'll come back and solve that all in just a few minutes. Thank you for joining us here on 101.1. Sorry Dave's not with you today, but we're trying to hold the fork till he gets back. Now, we're talking about this upcoming impeachment, and uh, I'd like to show you what our current secretary of state has to say about this cut 10 please you
4: no know, i from the beginning have been unhappy uh, unhappy because the officers at the state department have had to Uh, go testify without counsel from the State Department there without the ability to prepare uh, the risk that there would be classified information that would uh, leak out or be spilled uh, in a way that the State Department couldn't oversee, we couldn't have counsel in the office, uh, in the room. Um, I regret that. I wish that these were open and fair and a, a process that reflected what the American
1: people deserve. Okay. So that was the Secretary of State Pompeo saying that this should be open and fair. I think we can agree that so far to date it's been anything but open and anything but fair. Uh, the entire, uh, what have we got, about 1,200 years of English common law that have been thrown out the window along with this. And uh, one of the things you get to do is to face your accuser. You don't get to with this whistleblower. Uh, play number 20, if you would, please, Zach, while we still got time.
10: I think what we have to do is kind of go back and look at what we do know. We do know that the whistleblower had contact with Adam Schiff and his staff, that he is a partisan Democrat, that he is uh, has worked for one of the presidential candidates. We do know he got some things wrong in the whistleblower uh, report, whether he wrote it or Adam Schiff's staff wrote it. Basically, this guy is the front man for the whistleblower band. And they have created this narrative, and they're going to stick with it. What we will see going forward is they're going to try to get people to come in. We will see if they produce a report in the House, and we'll see but if Senator, they send is it to, it to smart for the,
11: the Senate. Is it smart for the White House to, to block these witnesses? You know, some Democrats say, well, if the call was perfect, uh, just let them go forward and give their story. Would you object to that? Sandra,
10: I will tell you this. If I were one of the witnesses, I would not agree to come forward until I had the same rights and protections that are afforded to every American citizen.
1: That was Marsha Blackburn you just heard. Okay, Adam Schiff, according to her, is the front man for the whistleblower band. This is the guy that Nancy Pelosi has chosen to be in charge of the impeachment inquiry, a guy who essentially orchestrated this entire uh, phony baloney scandal uh, that the president shouldn't dare to investigate democratic corruption. Sorry, I took us up almost to the end. We got a little less than a minute. Weigh in?
3: It sounds like they put the mouse in charge of the cheese on that. I
1: mean,
3: mean, that gives it no credibility at all. If you're going to try to do something and look for justice, you try to find someone bipartisan to oversee it someone that really doesn't have a dog in the hunt either way it looks like that nancy just does not have the common sense to try to look like somebody even if she's not that is trying to do justice for the american people
1: she was saying not very many weeks ago that we needed to hold off on this until we had some bipartisan support for it apparently the squad (laughs) pushed her over the edge huh Hmm. yeah
2: well, what's interesting is why not go ahead and push for impeachment? Why, why are they doing this? They're going to vote on an, in, on an impeachment It's not going to happen.
1: Got a hard break coming up. We'll come back and finish this up right after the bottom of the hour news. You're listening to the Dave Ellswick Show. No, Dave's not back, but his rowdy friends are still here. Carl Kimball, Artie Hopper, Paul Calvert. Getting yes, sir. to hold the fork for Dave while he's off saving the world in his Superman cape. Flying around the fortress of solitude, trying to create some type of a time vortex that will take us back to when the country hadn't lost its entire flipping mind.
3: Killing socialism and fighting off a bigger government. All right.
1: What were we talking about just before we brought – I think I cut Paul off because he – he was in mid-sentence almost when we came up on a hard break. Paul, do you have something I can't remember opinion? what we were talking about. Well, it must have been something important, <laughs> I guess. As I recall, we were that. talking about Shifty Adam shift and how his phony baloney investigation was kind of uh, bypassing all the rules of justice well, and, and, that were brought about by 2,000 years of English common law so, because getting Trump's more important.
2: So, so uh, you know... If I understand it correctly, the, the House is supposed to vote to impeach, and then the Senate has the trial. Correct. And and what looks like, it, it, it looks like the House is actually trying to have their own version of a trial prior to impeachment. Oh, yes. And so, if you call it something other than a trial, is it still a trial?
1: It's a, It's a matter of perception. And, you know, as, as R.D. was saying just before we went to break, the chance or maybe it was just after we went to break, the chance – well, you go ahead and tell them. You, you, what, well, where you, the what do chance. you think about the chance of the uh, Senate
3: actually doing anything? Okay. Zero. Zero. He's not going to be conv- convicted. You know, the House has the majority. If they vote partisan, which they
1: probably will – But you know might, he's going to lose be. Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney's going to vote with the Democrats. <laughs> Well, maybe so, but doesn't it require a supermajority? Well, actually, he needs 19 more Republicans besides. Mitt Romney to jump ship before the Republic. and we can assume that every single Democrat will vote to impeach. I think that, I mean, to uh, remove from office. I think that, but not there's no not way. A bad there's guess. no
3: way they're going to get a super majority no. in the Senate, a super majority in the Senate, no, not and convict 19... him of anything. There is no way that's going to happen. This is a mudslinging contest that is trying to frame the president as mm. being crooked, and in public perception. Of what happened on a phone call that everybody can listen to and make their own decision for themselves?
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and and you hit the nail right on the head when you said the perception, because they know they can't convict in the Senate. They know they can't. It'll be impo- uh, but I I sure, say, impossible. A super majority is impossible if they if they found out something truly horrible about Trump. We don't know yet. And nineteen more guys. From the Republican right. side, join Mitt Romney. Uh, it's theoretically sure. possible, or, but I think yeah, it's of pretty far fetched. if they get but, some of those, so but in those. the meantime, if they vote, the, and and a lot of people don't understand how this works, impeachment is an indictment. It's not a conviction, no. and impeachment's not a conviction. It's, like it's a, an indictment. It's
2: like getting a speeding ticket. You're not guilty
1: <laughs> until you've either pled guilty or been found guilty. Right.
2: It, it, so it's 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 a, it's about the equivalent of the being written Senate, a speeding ticket as the, far as the. Yeah,
1: the House of Representatives impeaches and the Senate acts as the trial court and either throws out the conviction or convicts. And uh, if, he, if the Senate, if they get sixty senators, is it six, no? Is it sixty or seventy? You know, I can't remember. I think, if it's, I think, if it's, take it back. I think if it's it's or three quarters. I think it's I think it's seventy-five that they need in order have a, to kick we them, have them a out. Pocket Constitution hanging around here somewhere. But in any event, there's there's slim to none chances of a conviction. But if they pass on a completely party line vote, every Democrat votes to impeach in the House. Every Republican votes not to impeach. Then they'll be able to spend the rest of Donald Trump's life calling him the impeached President Donald Trump. It doesn't matter that he was never convicted. it doesn't matter that the Senate found no merit to the impeachment. It doesn't matter that he was essentially for all practical purposes found not guilty by the trial but they'll be able to, and, and if they say well oh, the impeached President Donald Trump. And I hate to say that, you know, a pretty large proportion of our ill-informed population say impeached, that must mean he's guilty. Mm, maybe so. And that's but, the whole uh, idea is uh, to uh, damage him for the 2020 election. But that's all it's over, about. The, over the last
2: few years, including the, uh, previously in the election itself,
1: you know, uh,
2: people would attack Trump over something, and in, invariably in so many cases... He would turn around on them, and they they look like the fool. And so it's it it, it seems like that might be what's going to happen in this case too. They jump on Donald Trump, and all of a sudden, they've got him surrounded, and they have to put their hands up.
1: Well, I sort of disparaged I sort of disparaged my fellow American voters and saying there are an awful lot of us that wouldn't understand that being impeached wasn't being convicted. But there are also an awful lot of Americans who do understand, like this. Right. Michigan voter in cut number two. This is just a real short little bite. That uh,
7: the Democrats are are really just trying to overturn the results from 2016.
3: And I think it's going to fail miserably.
1: Well, I, I, from his lips to God's ears, based on uh, what would be in store for the United States if any of these far-left candidates ended up in office.
2: I, I think he's probably right. I think it just, it's not going to go anywhere. But, you know, so... If it does, what if they impeach what if they impeach him and they and they kick him out of office and then we get Mike Pence? So but I, I wonder
1: But uh, that's okay because, because all they want to do is, is improve their election, chances of getting back that's into power of this in the next about. election.
2: But maybe we can talk about this some, but what would happen if they managed to kick Trump out of office just prior to the election? Can he still run for mm-hmm. office?
1: Ha! There's there's actually a bite in here about that. I think I'll have to I'll have to so, look so for it during so, our next
2: break. So let's say they kick him out um, September of next
3: year. Yeah, super majority of Republicans vote the president oh, out. Right. You know, there's a better they, chance they,
2: of getting struck by lightning on a sunny day. Well, I think you're maybe right there. But and so but let's let's say they just manage to pull it off. They they, they kick him out of office September of next year, and you know he's on the ballot. Assume is there any reason why he can't be can't stay on the ballot and get elected in the, the following in the, the, the November two months later?
1: Actually, was, uh, if if he was on the ballot and if he got elected, he could be back in and they'd have to impeach him again. And so I, I wonder
2: what what is the and so does it just mean that we get we might just get Mike Pence for a couple months?
3: <laughs> well, wow. I think what after what the Democrats are doing, they look like. You know, a kindergartner that didn't get to go outside for recess, you know, they're holding their breath and they're jumping up and down because they lost the election. They're crying foul They're they're throwing a fit
2: and they're trying to make something out of I, nothing. They're it, not improving maybe their chance, I may, don't think, maybe in the election. Maybe it's even worse than that. Maybe it's more like a kindergarten, kindergartner who who wasn't given a donut. But they still got to go out for, go out to recess. But they just didn't get a donut that day, and some other kid did get a donut, and they're just not. It's just not fair.
3: Yeah, you know, in a socialist society, <laughs> everything's always fair. You know, what's
2: the first thing you teach your kids is, "Hey, life is not fair. No, it's not. Get get fair. Get over it." And, and the and fact is, that it. one of the problems I think with socialism is, well, this guy's got more than me. You know, what is the what is the proper way for me to respond to my neighbor or? or our or acquaintance, I discover, you know, he's got something better than I have. The appropriate response to that, oh, I'm happy that he's been blessed in such a way. Well, but, what, a, what an but attitude. This, but the more socialist perspective, I think, is probably more like, it's not fair. I've got to have some of that. Or Actually, we're just going to take that away from him. It's just not fair for him to have more than me. Everybody should get
3: yeah,
1: the same know, after, size trophy. After Hillary Clinton <laughs> impugned Donald Trump's patriotism during the campaign— by saying that he refused to accept in advance no less the outcome of the election and here it is 3 years later she's still saying well she really won she could beat him again cuz she beat him <laughs> before and uh, displays a, a, a woeful mm. I- intentional ignorance of how our system works and 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 once again picks uh, every way in the world to explain why she's not president of the United States other than the fact that People don't like her. You know, God darn it, she's not good enough, she's not smart enough, and people don't like her. She's the anti-Stewart Smalley. <laughs> but
3: she wouldn't listen to her husband. You know, did she call <laughs> us Did she call us deplorables? Isn't that what she called us? You know, they're talking yes. about Donald Trump calling a people basket names. Of yeah, basket of deplorables. Yeah, basket of deplorables. So she yes, had her, yes. her share of name-calling also, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, she doesn't even come across like her husband bill probably if she would have hired bill for a campaign manager yeah, we'd problem, all be in trouble her She'd problem is like that president. her, her no, husband
1: no. was one of the most skillful liars in the history of american politics and she just was not
3: yeah he was made of teflon well, he he's made of velcro well, he had good hair i
2: guess
1: yeah well <laughs> uh, you know somehow I, I just keep hoping some of that teflon will wear off you know maybe you know when the truth comes out about what he was doing on the Lolita Express flying mm-hmm. down to Rape Island with Jeffrey Epstein, maybe a, maybe a little of the glow will eventually wear off a good old Bill, our boy Bill.
12: I don't know.
1: Yeah, if you get a chance to watch a show, I've, I've
3: said it on the show before, but Poverty Incorporated is a documentary on how... Uh, these nonprofit organizations make billions of dollars off of taxpayers by taking advantage of people that are, are find themselves in unfortunate position. But Bill Clinton kind of comes clean in there and and uh, talks about some of the ways that they fleece taxpayers to uh, to help the rice farmers and different people in Arkansas.
1: As long as as long as we brought up the specter of her gray eminence, Hillary, let's 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 have one more cut here. Number 32, can you get that for me, where Tulsi Gabbard talks about Hillary?
11: Thank you again. Thank you for being with us. Allie, thank you so much. You have uh, proverbially
8: stepped in it a little bit, maybe deliberately, maybe accidentally, so I want to examine this with you a little bit. You published an opinion piece uh, in the Wall Street Journal uh, titled, I Can Defeat Trump and the Clinton Doctrine. Uh, now, here's the issue. There are a lot of Democrats who, when polled, say they've got deep concerns about party infighting in this race. So, Is this a calculated move by you? Because you've walked right into uh, the center of party infighting uh, with Hillary Clinton.
11: There are more people who are concerned about the destruction, the loss of life and limbs, and the cost to the American people of this destructive Hillary Clinton foreign policy legacy that I'm standing up and speaking out against and seeking to change running for president serving as commander-in-chief to stop going around the world acting as the world's police toppling dictators and countries we don't like uh, and instead redirect our resources our precious taxpayer dollars on actually serving the needs of the American people here at home. And those needs are pressing and great things like uh, infrastructure, health care, education, Making sure that that every time, you know, those families in Flint, Michigan are told that there's just not enough money to make sure they have clean water to drink. Well, let's actually dedicate the resources towards making sure there is no family in America that goes without clean water. Basic necessity of life.
1: Gosh, she sounded kind of like Trump for a while there, didn't she?
2: Uh, she, she wants to, to, to stop police in the world, and I think that might be a good a good idea to a great extent, but then she wants to use that money to to engage in socialism here. Yeah. Her she domestic wants, policies are I, not I mean, very and, and so the, so uh, I, I think it's uh, again we we our foreign policy is dumb. I uh, um,
1: we just don't do foreign policy well. We, we just. We, I we can't do, remember we are w- having done foreign policy well in my lifetime, frankly. I, I think you're probably right. She's
3: yeah. going to say anything she thinks she needs to say to get elected. Yeah, well. She doesn't have a plan. That's a for big club. Policy. Yeah.
1: We need to get one more break in. I Gosh, i just got to raise enough money to get Dave back here. I mean, I'm, I'm having fun, but I know I'm flailing compared to the great Dave Ellswick, so let's pay some bills, and hopefully we can raise enough money to get Dave back later this week. Yes, sir. You're back with Carl Kimball, R.D. Hopper, and Paul Calvert. Holding the fork for our old buddy Dave, we miss you and want you back, and Hope things are going well up there in the Fortress of Solitude where he's negotiating with Superman to come back and save the day. Uh, we got about seven minutes left before the panel's done. Paul, well, what so, else is on your mind?
2: You know, I've been hearing about this thing down in Mexico where this family, I guess they're going to a wedding or something down yeah, there.
1: Yeah, and, An American Mormon community uh, in and, 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 Mexico that and, they were going to visit. And, and
2: apparently... A drug cartel may have actually mistaken them for somebody else and, and killed a bunch of them or killed several of them, and and so the the emphasis is being placed upon well this 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 drug problem is so serious, but I, I'm not hearing people point to the fact that you know if you go to Mexico they disarm you,
0: mm-hmm. they don't allow you to
2: carry guns in Mexico if you're an American. I don't know they really hard, hardly allow the Mexicans themselves to either. But from only what I the study rallies, from what I understand. You go to Mexico, you're pretty vulnerable. Indeed. And so
3: (laughs) the police is just as corrupt as the drug cartels are. And so
2: so I think maybe the better approach that maybe Donald Trump should have brought up is that, you know, stop disarming Americans when they go to Mexico and allow them to defend themselves against thugs.
1: Yeah, well, I don't know if that's going to happen. We don't have much say so over that. No,
2: we don't. But, you know. Maybe you know, maybe I suspect the US government actually gives some subsidies to Mexico. Maybe we could just cut off. Cu- maybe little. we could just cut off all of those subsidies until they start recognizing the right of Americans when they travel to Mexico to actually be armed. I've talked to a lot of Hispanic
3: people I have a lot of Hispanic customers at Mm -hmm. my auto recycling facility, and uh, they get along with the drug cartels down in Mexico. The people that actually live down there, Mm -hmm. live out in rural areas, they say that drug cartels are more honest and cause less trouble than the government and the police does because they employ people, uh, they they grow... what they grow marijuana or whatever else right. they employ people and they treat people fairly they help them with their higher right. housing and they actually even help them with medical care and, wow. and stuff like that but the police will will rob you and aren't loyal to anyone wow. but i had a person that i worked with that every time he went to mexico he'd have to leave his nice truck here because the drive police a would steal it from old him? truck down there you know, wear his old clothes, yeah, and look like he's broke. Mm-hmm. You know, and go down there to go visit his family, so the police mm-hmm. wouldn't rob him. So mm-hmm. be careful that the right. well, politicians are not always uh, forthrighted. Uh, you at know where uh, the problem
2: uh, really is. I think some of that is probably true, even here in America, because we we've, we've got government officials here in America that will rob you. You know, they'll do it, they'll do it on the, on they'll smile. They'll do it with a, maybe with a sort of a smile on their face or maybe not a smile on their face, but they'll do it in, a, in official ways that may in the form of writing new citations or maybe in the form of, of um, prosecuting you in certain ways or attacking you through bureaucratic means and audit, have audits a tax perhaps. audit perhaps. And so, so how is that really any different than the corruption that we see in, in some of these third world countries? Um, but our, our, our corrupt officials, are, mm. they, they wear clean white shirts and, and whatnot, whatnot. But, you know, I, I've never been threatened by a drug dealer. I never have. I, I've never had a drug dealer come up and shake me down. I, I've never been – I've never really felt unsafe too much because I, I thought a drug dealer was going to violate me in some serious way. Um, on the other hand – Government officials have threatened me. I have been threatened by, with arrest by, by corrupt government officials on a my t- wife a t- was one a, or two occasions.
1: My wife, who's from Havana, but an American citizen, I was a longtime teacher in the Little Rock Public Schools. And they were, they were looking into the possibility of having a sister school program with a, a public school in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. And she went and spent part of one summer down there living in mexico city and meeting the people and she came back and said there's no way we want to do this because it's a third world country and our people would not be safe down there mm-hmm. she said she was intimidated when she'd go to get in every intersection just about had a guy carrying a machine gun standing on the corner one of the federal police mm-hmm. you know, and they and he'd, he'd say take that bus there go to my cousin's restaurant down there uh yes officer wow yeah uh, yeah it was it was intimidating she said so i'm not sure you know just like
3: i don't trust a lot of the media and what's going on that you read about in the paper or the the false news i, I don't know if they could it could have been a mistake and they say the, the drug lords could have done that by mistaken fighting in, in amongst themselves maybe it could have been government officials that, that made a mistake and and, and made and a mistake them and, but and, or
1: maybe the if it was government officials, I guarantee you they would have blamed it on the drug cartel. Yeah, There's with that, no and, doubt. And I think there that's entirely no possible. And, and,
2: and the fact is that it may, be, may very well be, like what Artie was saying about um, the fellow he was talking to, it may very well be that, that, that the that the drug cartels are, are much more righteous than the government down in Mexico. And that's not just one person. I ask,
3: How hard
1: would that be? I, I asked a bunch of people that hard.
3: question, and so far— so far, I'm 100% wow. that the people trust the drug cartels, cartels more than the government. Right. So I ask that question regularly, and wow. someone can call in and correct me, but so far, I'm 100% that well, they cr- trust them more than they trust the government. And
2: I wonder how true that is here in America. <laughs> yeah, I We, don't, we don't like to think about that, but but is it is it maybe true that some of these city governments and federal as well are are actually worse <laughs> than the drug cartels that that are supposedly the evil and wicked thugs and dictators, or not di- dictators, but thugs in the area. All right, final
1: thoughts. 30 Second each. RD.
2: Hey, I think we need to make a priority. Government
3: is in place to keep people's honest people safe and to punish criminals. So I think we need to make that more of a priority and, and get back to the basics. what government's supposed to
2: be doing. I, and I think that's, the, that's that's the thing, is that our, our government, So in so many cases, doesn't, Operate for the purpose of upholding our rights. It actually up, operates for the purpose of enriching the cronies and 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 um, and and setting up their own personal agendas for things, as opposed to the the basic reason for government in a free, in a free society is to uphold human rights. That's it, right. It, it's it's not to engage. Now in you're charity. talking like a
1: founding father. Yeah, now. It's
2: not to engage in charity. <laughs> it's not to it's not to promote your pet project or. Or to promote your your um, global warming religion or
1: whatever it is. I mean, it's it's for government's your job is not to make sure I brush my teeth right. or that I get proper nutrition right. or that I kiss belt. my mother good night. Right. Where you think It's belt. proper places to protect <laughs> my freedoms, to protect me against enemies foreign and domestic of our god-given rights and not that to, are protected by our constitution and not to be the enemies foreign and domestic all right i want to thank the panel for being with me today you guys are great paul yes, calvert my Enjoy old testament it. prophet and it's the end of the day and i want to say thank you this is the first time i recall listening to you that you didn't ever say the end of the day once and i think it was an improvement RD Hopper, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Dave. We'll be back with the Bible, guys.
0: Right now.
1: The best talk radio show in Little Rock. At least it's the best when Dave's here. Sadly, Dave's not here. He's off uh, at the Fortress of Solitude considering... you know what kind of strategies he's going to implement to uh, save the world there here, but go. he may be back later in the week. We're looking forward to the return of Dave, but fortunately, you don't have to listen to me the whole time. This is Carl Kemble, Dave's old buddy sitting in for him, and we are fortunate to have on the most fun and interesting and worthwhile hour of the entire week of the Dave Ellswick Show, The Bible Guys, Stephen Hess and Billy Miller, Hello, glad Hello. to have you Hello. with Hello. us. Hello. It's always a pleasure to get to hear what you fellows have to say about the good book. And indeed, uh, as I'm trying to remember who it was, was it Browning who, when he was on his deathbed, asked to be read to, he said, what book would you like to be read from? He said, there is only one book. There's only one book.
13: You know, um, Scott, um, particularly when he's talking about the Institute, he, he makes the point of uh, as men of God, we spend our entire lives studying a single book, um, and at least it's a big book. It, at least it's a big book, and there's a lot to it. There's a lot of meat there. So, um, I, I the first time I heard him say that, I, I had never expressed that that way. But he uh-huh. said, you know that that really is who and what we are. We we spend our entire lives uh, diving as deeply as possible uh, into a single book um, and trying to pick out everything that we can from there and, and let it change us and absorb into us and become us become who it wants us to be so
12: and that one book is to try and help us to understand a single source mm-hmm, a single mm-hmm. individual it's
1: all about relationships really isn't it it is
12: and to get us all back to that single relationship that was lost in the garden yep that's what the whole book is designed from from the beginning from the uh i say from genesis three fifteen when god promised to the, the seed of eve that your seed is going to bring redemption yep and the whole, the rest of the story is to get back to where God can walk in the coolness of the day with Adam, with mankind.
1: Yep. And what a powerful story that is. Mm-hmm. A giant love, it's a giant
13: love note from, yeah. from opening page to final page. So,
1: Well, as you know, this is a call-in show. If you would like to talk to the Bible guys, if you'd like to ask a question, we invite your questions here on the Dave Ellswick Show. You can call us, area code 501 823 823-0965. Give us a call eight two three zero nine six five, and we'll put you in the queue to ask a question of the Bible guys. I think that you'll find that what they have to say will be of great comfort to we, you. Now, yeah, we <laughs>
13: like questions. I mean, we, Steve and I are both perfectly capable of sitting here running our mouths for an hour, but it's this this works much better when when we are specifically addressing the things that you are uh, most concerned with, most concerned about. So. Um, that's funny shoot us an email give us a call we would love to hear from you sorry i wasn't uh, laughing
12: at billy i was i kept looking around because i kept hearing music
13: Yeah, it was, and it was superman music too well, in the background right, right. something big uh, dave somewhere. was
12: trying to get in <laughs> touch with us from the fortress of Solitude. it was i thought it was in my ear but he came in and was all was right now i understand
1: door. that we've already got some questions coming by email steve good and
12: start us we, off we haven't had anybody call in in a while i mean yeah. ever since we got the email thing everybody's been emailing us talk. you can do either yeah yeah okay Let's see, dear Mister uh It has been some time since I wrote into the show with a few questions. I've really enjoyed listening and learning from the Bible guys over the past year. My question is as follows: Do the Bible guys find nothing redeemable about the Greek language or culture? I ask because there it almost seems they almost seems to be an anti-Greek sound when they talk about Greek anything. Also, I hear all of the time. Uh, people saying the original Greek says when pastors are preaching. Uh, what are they referring to if not Greek manuscripts of the Bible? I appreciate all the Hebrew insight, but obviously God knew that his word would go to the Greek world and therefore is using it for his glory. Uh, would the Bible guys agree with that? Um, yes. Um, it's it's not that we are anti-Greek in a sense that... Um, Greek has become the idea of replacing Hebrew, yeah. And so it's not that there's nothing redeemable either in a Greek culture or, really, the better way to say it would be a Western mindset, a Western culture. But we have looked to that to be the thing that replaces what was first-century Judaism, i.e., Christianity. Right. That's one of the things that we forget. We always say there's Christianity and Judaism. They are not separate. Right. And that's when you take a purely Greek thought um, as a replacement. And that's really kind of what we're saying is it's not that, um, you know, there are a lot of great uh, uh, and wonderful Western organizations and and some Western teaching and and, and all that, but we've caused it to replace what was in the first century. So our point is, and, and if it may sound like we're, Condemning or ridiculing or criticizing every aspect of it. It's not the intent. The intent is to really say we've got to get back to understand what the Bible was saying when those guys wrote it, when it was happening, what was their culture, not our culture. Right. And so we read it in our culture, a Greek culture, a Western culture. And because of that, we're reading it through filtered eyes, whether we realize it or not. And we take those things out of context. So our, our point is to try and put those things back into a Hebraic concept because that's who it was written to. Even when Paul was writing um, or um, to the people in the places he was going, he was expressing to them Hebrew concepts. And though he had to write it into their language, he was still trying to express a Hebrew Bible, a Hebrew religion to Greek people. Were Paul's letters written in Greek? Um Yes, most of them were. Most, yes. yes. Most it was of a them
1: Greek-speaking were. world Correct. into which he went.
12: Correct. And that's actually why you see there's a misnomer that Paul changed his name. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. What changes is when where Paul was going. So when he left in and out of Israel, now all of a sudden you see he went from being Saul to Paul. It's simply because the language and who they were talking to the most is why his name was changed. It doesn't say anywhere that Paul changed his name. Not one place. Yep. But we have this idea that Paul, quote-unquote, converted to Christianity and changed his name from Saul to Paul. All that happened was they left Jerusalem and went to the Greek world, and his great name, Paul, is what yeah. came out in <laughs> the although letters. Although
1: it was all the Roman Empire, about half of the Roman Empire, the predominant language was Greek, right. sort of a holdover from the Empire of Alexander the Great, perhaps. Right. But... Uh, you had Aramaic, yep. the language of the common people, yep. in uh, the area of Palestine at that time, and yet you even had Greek cities scattered in amongst the uh, sure. Hebrew settlements. Yep.
13: So, so to make that even clear, um, Paul Paul's name didn't change from Saul to Paul uh, because even if that had happened, Paul's name wasn't Saul. Paul's name was Shaul. Right, and think about that for just a second if you encountered someone today out here on the street and their name were shaul you would look at them strangely Uh, when paul was moving as a roman citizen when he was moving around uh, areas that were not uh, predominantly hebrew speaking shaul sounded really strange to these people and therefore it became a shortened more quote westernized version of his name um, just like uh, Yisrael gets changed to Israel or Benjamin gets changed to Benjamin. Um, his name went from being Shaul to being Paul because he was among those who spoke uh, in a different way. So this is not a, a change of name. This is a change of pronunciation because
1: of the culture that he's in. Now, they translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek so was it that in the first century that that occurred? Was it um, in
12: Alexandria? Was it the
1: Septuagint?
12: It, it was the Septuagint, and I believe it was about 150 yeah, years BC.
1: BC. So, yep. so that would have been uh, uh, during the time that there were large Hebrew uh, settlements in many of the Greek-speaking cities. Correct. Some of those people were assimilated to, to the Greek
12: culture, and that well, that's also why they had to go to all those places. I mean, all those places that Paul went. This is the other part that we forget. Though he was traveling to that all of those Greek cities in that Greek world, everywhere he went, he stopped in a synagogue first. Whenever now, was, he got right. to a town, he went to a synagogue first.
1: Now, this was a point of, of significant friction in the Palestine of the time of Jesus, was it not that there were many among the... Ethnically Jewish communities who wanted to ingratiate themselves with the wider metropolitan culture by adopting Greek ways.
12: Yeah, th- those were the Hellenistic Jews, and that was the ones that they had the big divisions about yeah. within Judaism and, because uh, they adopted so much someone, of Greek
1: culture. Someone asked me just the other day about two of the, of the disciples. Who are the brothers? Was it Peter and Andrew uh, that were the brothers? And one of them, had, James of, and John. Well, there were James and John were brothers, of course. James and John don't sound like Hebrew
12: names. Yeah, That's no, that was uh, Yitzhak and Yokohama. <laughs> That's right. That's our actual names.
1: And, and, and we've translated this book. Right. But w- w- well, we did worse than that because it, because it's
13: just like the name Jesus. We didn't translate those names. We transliterated those names. Correct. We made, we took them, passed them through four languages, um, going from Hebrew to Greek to Latin and then eventually to English, and we just tried to make them sound right as they passed through the various languages. So it's not like we took the meaning. It's, it's not like we walk around talking about our Savior named Salvation. Uh, th- right. We didn't do that. We didn't translate that name. Um, but what we did do was take the sounds that existed with Yeshua and tried to pass them through those languages and get to an English name, which is something that our ears would recognize. Didn't
1: mm-hmm. one or more of the disciples uh, have have Greek names? Philip would have been a Greek rather than a Hebrew name, would it not?
12: I don't know the orange. I'll have to look.
1: Yeah, all of
13: uh, all of the original apostles um, are, are Hebrews, um, and it's it's likely— uh, we know today that even Luke uh, the doctor the good dr Luke uh, was almost certainly a Hebrew as well when Do you we look think at, so absolutely absolutely See, look thought, at his here, work, I,
1: had, I had always thought that he was the one uh, of of the authors of the Bible who was not Hebrew uh well when we when we go look historically at
13: to whom he is likely writing uh, and mm. the access that he had. There he was are, certainly culturally There Greek. are places, yes, well he would have been trained as a physician, mm. he would have been trained um, in western medicine and therefore in a, in a Greek mentality, but uh, almost certainly a good Jewish boy as well. We, we know simply by some of the access he had, some of the places he was allowed to go into, no Gentile would have been allowed into those places. Mm. So he must have been Hebrew, he must have been a, a Jew to have been allowed into uh, these locations where he writes first hand accounts. So uh, even name. even he is likely um, a Jew. Mm-hmm. Almost everyone in the that first century. Um, yeah. uh, there are very very few Gentiles who make it in during the first century. Uh, of Cornelius Christ. was the
12: first, and yeah. then it was yeah. Who was the first? Cornelius, Cornelius. Cornelius.
13: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the house of Cornelius, mm-hmm. um, and that's why, he was a Roman
12: soldier, right? Um, yes, and that was ten years. Yeah, um, it's more than a decade. Yeah, it was more yeah. than a decade after the church was going. Fascinating. So back to the original part of the question was, it's not that there's nothing redeemable. We just want to put everything in that proper context so it understands. We want to quit reading it from our Western mindset and then read it in the Hebrew mindset. And
13: and I will say, as far as the the redeemability of Greek, um, I I was listening to, I think it was uh, Dennis Prager the other day, who was talking about um, Jews value Christianity, if for no other reason because Christianity has spread the Tanakh, the Old Testament, far further than the Jews could ever have spread it. So uh, there's absolutely some benefit there. This some else, good
1: stuff. I hate to bring spread in it. materialism and uh, the pursuit of evil mammon, but we've got to raise enough money to there bring Dave back good. from That's the right. fortress of solitude. Right. So let's pay a couple of bills here. We'll be right back with the Bible, guys. Thanks for listening to the Dave Oswick Show. Carl Kimball sitting in with the Bible guys, and in our last part of this half hour, I think we have a very interesting and worthwhile question that Steve's going to rehearse for us here.
12: All right, says so Bible guys, I was wondering if you might be able to give me some advice. I was wondering what I could do to help my generation to understand the need for faithfulness and commitment to church. I was born in 2003, and my peers are just so wishy-washy in so many ways. Help me to know what to say to my generation and why are we the way we are. It's embarrassing.
13: Wow. So 2003, so you're 16 years old. Congratulations. You already speak uh, more intelligently about the situation than <laughs> the vast majority of adults I know. Um, me too. <laughs> the, you're, you're fighting an uphill battle. Um, we are we are told scripturally that this is a time of a great falling away. Um, unfortunately, what we are experiencing is um, not something unexpected. Um, for starters, your generation has grown up on sound, <coughs> sound bites and um, you know 140-character um, opinions, and it's very easy. I was watching a, a video today about instant gratification and how we've produced an entire generation of people who don't know about uh, delayed gratification. And in order to be faithful to something, in order to be committed to something, we really have to understand the concept of delayed gratification, how, what I do today, it's, it's why you go to school. It's why you go to college. It's why you do these things. Yeah, those things aren't necessarily pleasant while you're going through them, but they have a payoff in the end. They bring greater satisfaction in the end. Um, that's why you don't
1: spend every single penny you get in your it's paycheck the, you the first
13: week. Uh, but there's also the same generation is the, the generation who has saved the least in all of American history. So um, you're fighting an uphill battle. But the thing that you've got to do, um, and, and we've, we've had other conversations, you know, how do I accomplish X, Y, Z? And, and I, I seem to come back to the same answer over and over and over, and that is by being, and I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to go with the cliché statement rather than the statement I started to make By being the change you want to see. That's right. uh, You must be the model of that commitment. You must be the model of that faithfulness. Um, When when your faithfulness, when your delayed gratification begins to pay off, and that sounds very self-serving, but those things do pay off, uh, and your friends are looking around going, how is it that you accomplished X, Y, Z, and you can go, well, because I was faithful, I put in the work, I did these things. Um, can you change the world? Any one human being might be able to change the world. Can you change your immediate surroundings? Yes, absolutely. Can you have a significant impact on your friends? Uh, you better believe it.
12: Yeah, there's just a couple of things I would add to that. And in, in, um, one is just to back on that you need to be the light you need to be the the thing that they see because um the people in your generation didn't grow up with the expectation that the bible is true that they lived in a biblical culture uh and that there was um somebody that we're going to have to be accountable to uh and so on top of being an example and a light and being faithful and unfortunately at your age you also have to become an apologist you yep. also have to be yep. someone that is versed in the origins of the faith because when billy and i were younger um it was taken that there was a god There was right. taken that jesus was a son everybody right. believed this right and everybody knew that they were going to give an account for their life one day well now faith is mocked uh jesus's resurrection and belief in all of this stuff is considered to be fairy tales and so you almost have to educate yourself on the facts, Right. Um, that this is not in a sense of blind faith, but what we believe is factually based. As a matter of fact, there was a new evidence just in, um, in Shiloh in Israel today, just confirming the biblical account of the tabernacle and where it stood, and by the way, where the Bible said it stood.
13: Absolutely, where it uh, said it and stood. And so
12: we are finding more and more solid evidence to what we have taken by faith for years so in a sense, you can almost prove today what you believe. Um, so I would get involved in um, and in studying more about your faith, but more just being a light and being an example. Yeah, because you'll give them something to see that it's not just something that they hear about, but they actually see you living out. What, what we see an in the incredibly
1: scriptures. mature question it is for a 16 person. That really is, and an, and forgive me, button in, but the historian in me just just begs to put in that. When you say that she must be an ap or he must be an apologist, that doesn't mean in the sense of saying "I'm sorry for being yeah. a christian correct, <laughs> right. right. but in the classical sense of the original Greek term, the apologia meaning not an apology, I'm sorry, but right. a explanation the ability of to defend the, the apologia like Tertullian was a Christian apologist, mm-hmm. that is he explained why we believe Correct. the way we believe. Yes. And, Thanks and, for clarifying. And, 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 and that's what we want this young person to do, right. is to explain why she believes the way that he or she believes and and, and not be sorry for it, but to bring it forth and say I, this is not something that's in a vacuum, but something that I believe right. for And a in reason. today's
12: your generation, you can point to so many YouTube sites and videos where these guys, there's guys out there. We just had a guy um, this past weekend at Agape, Dr. Michael Brown, I tell everybody to go check out his site. He has got hundreds and hundreds of videos defending the faith, dealing with the culture and people in in this generation. Uh, but also backing up everything that we believe. So I encourage people to go there for evidence and resources, and that's why I would tell Leslie to go.
1: I don't think we have time to start another other questions. We've only got about a minute before right. we're on a hard break, but would you like to add any additional resources that our young uh, correspondent or any of our other listeners <laughs> might want to go to to and get more
12: knowledge on this? Thanks for the softball. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we always talk about the American Institute. It's what the uh, uh, Dr. Stewart and myself have been working on for a couple of years now, and, and if you go to AmericanInstitute.org, uh, we haven't got a um, a big repertoire of um, apologetic courses yet, uh, but you will get the foundation of the faith there. If you go there, you can, and I know being a 16-year-old, you're already a student, but you can take courses um, just from an auditing standpoint just to watch and get the information. You don't have to take tests and so on and so forth, so AmericanInstitute.org, but also check out Dr. Brown's place as well.
13: Which we is? AskDrBrown.org, I believe.
1: Yep. And if someone wants to send us a email, if you got the real quick email address, if they want to send us an email in uh, the last time, BibleGuys
12: at LR.com. LR.
1: I tell you what, this has been great. We're going to be <laughs> back after the news, the top of the hour, on The Dave Ellswick Show. Thanks for being with us. And it's Carl Kimball sitting in for Dave back here with The Bible Guys. Billy and Stephen, a real privilege and an honor to get some of this wisdom on me. And I understand we have another question in the wings.
13: Yeah, so I wanted to go back briefly to the to the sixteen year old um, and uh, that you said two thousand three, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. sixteen year old um, who had called in early or who had sent us a message earlier. Um, there's there's something going on with your generation um, that you probably need to be aware of, um, and it is really a Um, that the responsibility really belongs to my generation and my parents' generation um, simply because we allowed things to happen that we should never have allowed to happen. But you must understand um, that your generation, um, the the generation that started at the year 2000, um, is the first generation in America where less than half of the children born in that generation Uh, identify as being Christian. So you are in a hostile generation. Um, You must also understand that you are the first generation uh, to be born in America who has been taught by the liberal left that your foundation, um, the founding of this country, and your ancestors are horrible, terrible people who only wanted to rape, pillage, and plunder. And by the way, because of what those same people are doing to your future, you have no future. So you're growing up in a generation which has been taught that they are bad because of where they come from, and there is no hope for the future. Um, We recognize that as being satanic, period, plain and simple. Satan wants you to believe that there is no hope for the future. Um, If he can convince you that there is no hope for the future then there's no reason to continue living. There's no reason to try to look for something better. There's no reason to seek out anything good. Um, so when we talk about being that light, that salt, <clears throat> you need to know that you're living in a generation that is very dark. Um, and, and that's, I, mean, I can't blame that on y'all. That's our fault. We, we have a, we've allowed individuals to move into positions of authority uh, where they can spew that garbage. Um, and, Children believe what they're told, by and large. And I'm not throwing you into and that children category. I would also encourage category, you to but, get
12: involved. Um, find those places uh, in, your, in a church, youth groups, other youth right. groups outside with other churches, and getting, get plugged in and stay connected to people who are somewhat like-minded. Uh, and don't throw yourself into all the people <clears throat> who may not see the way you see it, um, because that would be a very difficult battle for yeah. such a young person. And
13: that's where I was headed. You're going to have, A, you're going to have to pick your battles, because there are more of them than there are of you today. Uh, and B... No good soldier walks onto the the, um, battlefield alone. Um, You're going to need to find those people that you can surround yourself with. You're going to need to find those people that you can draw strength from. Um, Maybe listen to your elders a little. Uh, um, Depends on which ones, right? Right. Uh, You're listening to this show, and that's a good sign, but um, find some good godly men and women that you can (coughs) learn from. Um, and can come along beside you and, and help you train you to be a, a, to be salt and light. Um, those are important things and uh, I just I want you to know um, that we understand we, 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 we sense what's going on out there um, and keep listening. We'll, we'll do what we can to uh, help prepare you for what's ahead.
12: All right, next question. I was wondering how <clears throat> we understand that God is love. I think I don't think uh, love can be just a feeling, so it must be something else. If God is love, then love can't be something uh, we see. If we can't see God, then we can't see love, or can we? Or can it? Can it be seen? Uh, this may be a stupid question, but biblically, love doesn't seem to be this uh, feely thing mm-hmm. uh, that we have today. Uh, that's very true. Love is love is seen by what you do. Right. Love is not seen um, by what you say. It's, it's by what you do. So, I mean, that's really the, the easiest way to say. Yeah. How did Jesus is,
13: describe love? Jesus said, if you love me, you, you will, will do. obey. You will keep
12: my commitments. Right. Uh, he also he will...
1: said that no man hath greater love for another, but that he lay down his life <laughs> right. for his friend. That's right. So, so sacrifice has got to be one of the most important correct. aspects of love. Correct. Giving,
12: doing, visiting, going to the orphans, going to the widows, going to the hospitals, feeding those who are in need uh being there for those who are hurting, uh, praying for people, and just that is seeing love. But right. as far as seeing a colorful wave and that kind of thing, in a spirit realm kind of thing, that I would not say. Yeah, um, It might be something that happens, but what I'm saying is, is just because – but love, there is a sense of feeling and emotion. I mean, how many times you've been – involved in a worship service or anything where you're just caught up in the emotion of what god has done for you and that kind of stuff and so there is a feeling if you've you know if you're married have a relationship and you actually are truly in love with somebody it is something that you feel but if you're not doing for one another then you also that feeling i promise you will fade
0: yeah
13: my my best um definition for love the, the definition i go back to over and over and over is that love is a commitment um, I love God and I'm committed to God. I, I love my wife and I'm committed to my wife. I'll, I'll be honest. Um, there are times when I'm just faking it till I make it. Um, you know, there are times when I, I get up and don't want to go out to the prison to minister. Or I I roll over and look at my wife and go, she's still here. Uh, you know, <laughs> I can't believe you just admitted that on air. He, well, she she's man. Amazing. I can't she, believe you said that out loud. I, I've, I've said that to it's her. Nice on occasion. knowing you, <laughs> So um, should I should I die in my sleep tonight? No, seriously. Um, there there are times when we don't feel. Um, whatever it is, we should be feeling, and and that that can be because we're that's in a right. time of strife. That can be because we're in a time of of struggle. That could be because I'm, you know, I read some passage in scripture, and I just got a text. I bet I know who that's from. <laughs> uh, it could be because I'm at a I'm at a time in my walk with God where I'm walking through some hard things, and God's trying to grow me, and I don't feel like walking through that struggle. Uh, but my commitment, my love for that individual, or my love for God, um requires of me because of my devotion to those uh, individuals or to God to to just go here I am and this is where I'm going to be because there was one, I uh, have love.
12: One episode of uh, the radio Dr. Brown's program I was listening to not too long ago and he was dealing with um how many um worship leaders and young pastors and older pastors that have been falling away from the faith there's been this um yeah. a bunch of them over the last year that have stepped Lots away from of big the unions, faith. Yep. And they and they lost because they basically used the phrase that they're just they're, it wasn't there for them anymore. Right. And in part of that is because it was a feeling. Yeah. It, was it was an emotion. emotional. Yeah. They were they didn't get involved in the scriptures. They didn't get involved in understanding um the relationship that they have with God and the facts and the evidence that go along with it. Right. It became an event. So they went to these really hyper charismatic, lovey feeling kind of congregations, but yet all of a sudden they find themselves dealing with life. And the feelings and the emotions, didn't, right, it didn't hold them up anymore because it's no longer that wonderful, gooey. I mean, I've been married for 27, almost 27 years, um, and I am in love now a hundredfold more than I ever yeah. thought about being mm-hmm. when it was in, around emotion and our, yeah. who we were as a young couple, but that's that's because it's it's more solid, not based off you know, our youth, our vibrance, our love, our attractiveness that kind of stuff. But really, it is really deep now than it's ever been. Well, if
1: she keeps me another month and a half, it'll be 41. So I know what you mean. I know know what you mean. And
12: Uh. that's our relationship with God. And love is more than a feeling. It comes with his commitment to covenant, to relationship. And then that feeling does come along from time to time. But it's something you see. Absolutely.
1: You know, one of the reasons Dave and I got to be friends in the first place is we were two of those rare birds. We were both Christian pro-life libertarians. When he first moved to uh, Little Rock. And that's, why I think, one reason we gravitated towards each other. God bless him. The station had enough money to send Dave off to the Fortress of Solitude for the high-level conferences he's involved in, strategizing the future of the country. But they didn't have enough money to bring him back, so we're going to have to take (laughs) one last break this hour so we can try and raise enough money to fly Dave back, hopefully before too long. So uh, we'll be back with the Bible, guys, for one last segment right after these important messages. You're back on the Dave Ellswick Show with Carl Kimball and the Bible Guys, Stephen and Billy. And Stephen's got a very interesting question to take us up to the top of the hour, I think.
12: All right, it's from our good friend Melissa, and said, um, how do the Bible Guys see Aliyah uh, and revival in America (coughs) and that globally working together, i.e. the restoration of Israel contributing to the Third Great Awakening and Worldwide Revival and then the mass harvest of souls? Very in-depth question, and for those who may not understand what she is referring to, uh, is Aliyah is for all of the Jewish people that are returning home to the land of Israel. It's one of the things, it's why Billy and I were talking about this before the show, why all the people got so much of prophecy wrong for so long is because of replacement theology— and people missing the idea that Israel had to be restored. There are right. countless prophecies that said that they would be around the world and then regathered to the land of Israel. Right. And the and the other one was Jesus said that they, he couldn't be seen again until Jerusalem declared that he was the Messiah. Jerusalem didn't fall back into the hands of Jewish people until 1967, so it was physically impossible for the um, Jesus to come back until these events. It just wasn't possible. So now... Uh, i got to really skip through some things. This is a, this is an hour program yeah, by itself. <laughs> uh, Romans 11 says that if the Jews rejecting Jesus as the Messiah brought salvation to the Gentiles, how much more, how much greater uh, will it be for the rest of the world that when they accept him, but be life from the dead is what he said. There are, uh, there's the book of Amos, the book of Jeremiah. There's all these places where it talks about that one day when they get back, then how many were going to come in? The one in Amos that is unfortunately quoted as a, a money verse where it says that the reaper will overtake the sower is talking about souls. The whole context of that is when the Gentiles come into the kingdom. Yep. And so there is a belief, and I believe that we could spend a lot of time backing it up, that when the Jewish peoples begin to declare Baruch Baba Shem Adonai in Hebrew, which is blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, uh, which is what Jesus said they would have to declare when they begin to see he is at the Messiah, that there will become a revival that the world has never, ever known. It will dwarf what happened on the day of Pentecost. I will caveat to say, but it will also be met with the most darkest period of time. Right. You will see more people saved in the last generation, in the last few years, at the same time you will be seeing as many people killed. Right. It will be a time of great tribulation, but also a great harvest. So her question is, how do we see... Uh, all the Jewish people going home and contributing to that. Well, it was necessary. It was necessary for them to go home. It's necessary for them to see uh, that he is the Messiah, and it will lead. And I think it will be the catalyst that will will spark the end time revival that people have been praying for and believing. Uh, and it will. So when we talk about when stuff, to stuff that Billy was talking about with the sixteen year old, and that is, it's dark. But it, as this, the old cliche says, it's always darkest before the dawn. And so, and, and the opposition to God's movement will usually be, or not usually, it will be stronger, but the, the devil has got to be in a strong opposition as well. So it will be uh, a bad time, but it will be a glorious time. And in right. all of this happening, all that's going on in Israel, all of the Aliyah in the verse that, um, that Billy had asked me about, I believe is in the book of Jeremiah, that one day says that God is going to send fishermen to go get his people. And then he's going to send the hunters. So you want to know why um, anti-Semitism is on the rise, and and actually um, statistically is matching what was done in the thirties, nineteen thirty nine, um, is because the hunters are starting to f- to get them out of the crevices in which they've been hiding and sending them home. Right. So we are we are about to watch, I think, the greatest time in in history.
13: I over the weekend I watched a um, a movie on I want to say it was on Amazon Prime called. Um, never again is now, and it's it's exactly that. It's about the rise of anti-Semitism, particularly in Europe right now, and the fact that Jews are, are abandoning entire countries uh, in Europe right now because to stay is to put yourself in a position where, uh, you're looking around going, um, are we going to be building camps before long? Because a lot of those
1: countries are turning Muslim at they, a rapid rate. Um,
13: and, and this this matches Scripture. I mean, that's <clears throat> the good news. This matches Scripture. Scripture says that um, he's going he's gonna to prod them. You, you should go home. And then when even those who won't go home at the prodding will eventually get pushed out. And, and I think that's we're seeing that transition, my opinion. My opinion is that we're kind of seeing that transition now. We we since I don't think it's an opinion;
12: it's statistics. We're watching how well many since Jews
13: 1948 are... they they've had the option of going home, but most did not go home until very well, recently. True. It's only it's only in the last ten or twelve years where we have seen enough of the European countries becoming um, enough of a stronghold for Islam that they're no longer feeling safe and they feel like they have to flee
1: again. Well, that's that's, that's hunters. Oh, no, look um, what's happened what with the Charlie Hebdo. Uh, massacre in paris at the same time they were massacring people in jewish delis yeah mm-hmm.
13: yeah there there uh,
12: the, are the you don't see hitting the news right. is guys that are just beat up yeah just jews who are beat up for no reason because well because they're jews and that they don't put that on news if they put that on the news you would be shocked on how much that stuff is happening yeah synagogues uh, that are still being sprayed it is and, it is
13: common in denmark and and the the um The movie I was talking about, uh, Never Again Is Now, those individuals were were from Denmark, I believe. And and it was common in the streets to hear people shouting, uh, Jews to the gas, Jews to the gas. Well, 10 or 15 years ago, we would have swore that could never happen Mm -hmm. again. No one would ever utter those words. And yet, in public, on the streets, in multiple countries in Europe right now, you've got people calling for the gassing of the Jews again. Uh, I'm sorry, that's evil. Mm -hmm.
1: And and lest we become too proud, we've had a couple of pretty (laughs) high profile attacks on Jewish people in our own country, much to our shame. There's
12: a friend of mine who posted a video, and I believe I can't remember which nation it was in, but it was in a European nation um, where they were taking, they were having a float uh, parade, and some of the floats going down the street were um, obvious. Jewish people with the um, stereotypical looks uh, wh- where they had their, um, the black hats and then the, the um, payotes down the side, but they mm-hmm. also had big hooked noses and all this other kind of yeah. stuff. And then what they put up on their web- on their <clears throat> Facebook page was an almost identical image from the 1930s when yeah. they were doing yeah. similar floats down the street. But
1: don't dare draw a cartoon of Muhammad.
12: Correct. And that's what I'm saying. It's the, the, there's a, there's the, enough of me that's just ornery enough that
1: all I want to do is, is sit around and draw Muhammad cartoons from now. Right. You know that right? right. Just, uh, yeah. There's sort of a sort of, sort of that American yeah. First Amendment itch it in us makes us want to do that. Right.
12: But yeah, I think that to, to further go because we could keep talking and keep talking because I get very excited uh, about the times in which we live and what I see going on in Israel, what I see going around the world uh, because these days were prophesied that they were right. come it, right. when and we could even use this. Or someone like Leslie, when we said he had to be somewhat of an apologist, and I, and I say this to people that I work with when I talk to them and go, there is no uh, faith here. It is fact. You live in a right. day in which you can turn on the television, you can open up a map, and you can see when God said that Israel would be scattered around the nation, but then he would regather them. He has regathered them. The Bible is true. The Bible is factual, and you can see that he has regathered his people, and he had to regather them before the time of the end. And, and I don't I don't believe he regathered them because we still got five thousand years left. Right, I right. believe that he's regathering because he's setting the stage to they're let the world know. They're not looking
1: like declaring uh, his messiahship yet, but they certainly they're, they're are not, gathering. I don't think in, they will. Until they certainly they are gathering in from around the world uh, as as it becomes hostile for them almost everywhere. Correct. There's a real possibility, um, just based on the way scriptures laid out, that
13: they won't make that declaration until they look around and go. What else we got to lose? Right. We might as well try that because everything else we've tried, if we failed, if we've improperly
12: so, interpreted Zechariah thirteen, right? Uh, it appears that they are going to be on the verge of another Holocaust before they finally make that declaration.
1: It's always right. darkest before the dawn. Yep. Yep. David Crosby, long time gone, nineteen sixty nine. There you go.
13: We um, in that vein, we, um, we you said that it's not faith here. It, it's a matter of, of Record and what the Bible has had to say i, I had a i 've got a very good friend whose name is Bob, um, and he grew up in the same faith that I grew up in grew up in uh, one of the churches that I eventually um, pastored at for a while um, and he went to he went to college and got a liberal arts degree in Russian history or something i don 't know hmm. and in studying that and in, and he spent some time in russia and it was really during that time that he came home and lost his faith. Um, and he and I talked about that extensively at one point, and he said, here's the deal. Uh, according to your interpretation and according to the interpretation of many, Russia has to be one of the nations that comes against Israel at the end time, and that simply cannot happen. I've spent so much time in Russia, there's no way Russia would ever be aligned with Turkey and Iran and come against Uh, gee. Israel.
1: That Gog was 20 years Magog, ago. Magog,
13: anyone? That was 20 years ago. And 20 years ago, I had to look at him and go, I don't see how it's going to happen either. But scripture tells me it will. And he just went, I just can't believe it. And if that is not true, then obviously the rest of this isn't either. I haven't had a chance to talk to him recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't had a chance to talk to him in the last, oh, I don't know, say four weeks. we got we Russians in
1: Syria and Russians align with the Turks. When so. we
13: abandoned northern Syria and suddenly um, Turkey is talking about leaving NATO to join a defensive <clears> pact with Russia who is already aligned with Iran and Iraq. And I go, hmm. I I can name these countries. I can name the land of Tubal. I can name uh, Gog of Magog. Uh, I can find Persia on a map. And suddenly, even though twenty years ago it seemed impossible for these things to happen, God already said this is going to happen, and therefore I can bank on it. And today we see that happening. Uh, It Scripture is being prophecy is being played out in front of you right now. I don't have to guess. I don't have to take it simply on faith like I did 20 years ago where I said, I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to. Today I can open the newspaper. Okay, I can open a website and go, look, right there. <laughs> Come on. Who opens a newspaper anymore, right? I so, do for about <laughs> three
1: more weeks. Yeah, I understand.
13: I understand. So um going to get my iPad next week. There you go. One of these days I'm, I'm actually going to that, – that's neither here nor there. But the, the long and short is um, we live at a time where apparently – um, prophecy is being played out yep. every day right in front of us yep. man
1: i hate to bring it into this because it's such good stuff thank you so much Stephen. thank you so much you. billy for being yes, with sir. us and i expect we'll have you back next week i sure yes, hope so i hope i'm just listening on the radio i'm a good buddy dave handles this next week but i i always love it when i get a chance to substitute for him on a tuesday because it's so enlightening to get a chance to be with you guys Keep Dave in your prayers. He's got a long and dangerous trip back from the Fortress of Solitude, and I think we've raised enough money to bring him back, and we're, <laughs> we're hoping to have him back and find Fettle in the not-too-distant future. Uh, you'll know when I know, probably in the next 24 hours, when we'll see Dave again. But if you don't see Dave, you may see me or someone else in this chair because the Dave Ellswick Show will roll on. Thank you for joining us on our wonderful radio station 101.1 the fm the answer thanks to the bible guys and we're going to see you on we see you on the flip side good luck dave come on back